Who's going to start the Katie McCabe rant? Is it going to be me or you, Emma? He knew he messed up the minute the whistle went because he went straight up to Katie and I don't know what he said. I should have started you. I don't think he said that, but he should be saying Subscribe that. to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You're very welcome along. It's Monday morning, and it is a uh, very excited OTBAM. Is it a very excited, generally, sports world out there this morning? Everybody's on fire, are they? Uh, give us your thoughts in the YouTube comments. You need to be signed in, and you need to um, be subscribed to our YouTube feed to be able to comment on it. You don't have to be uh, on Twitter. You can get us at Off the Wall AM, or you can always uh, get us by text or by WhatsApp on 0879-180-180. Uh, Johnny Ward is here. Johnny, good morning to you. Good morning, Ger. Uh, Colin Buig is here. Colin, how are you? Sure, and Johnny. Good mornings. Uh, Colin was just um, so sorry. The uh, Kansas City Chiefs have, have won in an all-time classic, 38-35, with a, a last-second, last-minute field goal um, to win it. Slight controversy at the end and that a fairly ticky-tacky holding call was called that prevented the Eagles getting the ball back with two minutes, minute and a half left on the clock. And so uh, interesting to see that um, all sports in every part of the world, are always ruined by officiating. So uh, I don't want to talk about officiating again today, but apparently we're going to have to talk about it in lots of different formats. Mm. Uh, before we get into that, though, in the in the bit there, just before we came on, Colin was uh, humble bragging about the fact that he's got back into five-a-side <laughs> as an owl-ad. Uh, it was six-a-side, six which a makes side. a huge difference, oh, actually. Massive, massive. massive. Technical players can shine. Well, I've played in this uh, specific game. Um, that was the last time I played six months ago, and it was five-a-side, and you, the lungs would be gone like after 20 minutes because you have to cover that extra space. Six-a-side is beautiful. But I was saying on Friday's show, you know, so I thought I'd uh, put a wrap on it this morning by telling Johnny off-air that I made my comeback. I didn't expect it to make it on. Yeah, in fact, you know, it was off-air for a reason. Show. Exactly. Because it's too I didn't boring. Think it was, I didn't think yeah. it was no. good. What are the injuries like? Well, I was saying to Johnny there, I was pleasantly surprised. Woke up Saturday morning anticipating being in bits. I was okay, but I didn't do much running. <laughs> and I stayed in the middle. <laughs> and that makes a massive difference. See, if it's a six aside game, you can do that. You don't have to run. Um, Remember your fellow, uh, was Liam O'Brien from Cork? When he, when he went back to play League of Ireland, um, joined Cork City, he used to just literally stay in the centre circle and not move at all. And mm. See, he's not a dub. Huh? I think he was he a was, dub. He, he, he probably was a dub, actually. Manchester United's Liam O'Brien. Yes. Ah, he was a dub. Ended up with Cork City. And yeah, I, I I know what you mean. You just kind of try to your class will will win out. You're also an outlaw, Johnny, you, you, and you're still playing five side. I'm I've had a bad run with five side. Uh, I'm probably I've been accused of being semi-retired at the moment, which is worrying. But I'm met, forty as well, so it's I, it's a I'm, lot harder. I met somebody who used to play five side against you. There's like oh, he was very nice until he felt there was an injustice in the game, and all of a sudden he would come alive. That Who's was that? the yeah. Who is that? I'll, I'll tell you off here. Yeah. Um, I think I'm not sure about that, to be honest. Yeah, I've oh. played 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 some good uh, good good players, and Kevin Kilban has come along, played a bit. I I tore something in my elbow last week playing um, hitting golf balls at the driving range. First time I've been out in about three months, and now it's like this is just a sign. Don't do anything. Don't even try anymore. Anyway, Patrick Mahomes. <clears throat> I've watched the highlights this morning. I couldn't stay up. It was too late. Mm. Can't do this show and watch that. Um, Mahomes gets injured at the end of the first half and jumps up all gimpy and it's like ooh ooh and they're 10 points down at half time you're like ooh this is it and then in the second half he has the longest run of the season you're like wow this guy is superhuman 
Unless the injury was not as bad as... Unless, I don't know. I mean, because this is new levels of heroism. He's named MVP, second time MVP. Uh, first time regular season MVP wins Super Bowl in, I don't know, is it is it, is it ever? Is it, certainly it's, it's like first time in 10 times. Um, so you're looking at an all-time great athlete doing all-time great things. He's ahead of schedule for where Tom Brady was. And we were talking about this on Friday. It's like, oh, you know, we're never going to see anybody like Tom Brady again. And Mahomes obviously runs too much, so he gets injured too much. But he's also pretty good at just throwing the ball. So maybe he'll just throw the ball for the last 10 years of his career and win three more Super Bowls. Well, there's any number of stats coming out this morning of Mahomes already greatness. But one is he's the first player since Kurt Warner in 1999 to win the NFL MVP and Super Bowl in the same season. But I think you said before, I think you said before, Jar, that you're, you're talking about one of the greatest athletes in world sport here. And that was before last night. Yeah, he's he's a LeBron James at his peak. He's a Lionel Messi at his peak. He's at, he's at that stratospheric level. Um, but he's also doing it in a sport where the opposition are, you know, 27 stone and they're legitimately trying to crush you in every in every moment. Um, but, so they were up against the number one ranked defence and uh, Philadelphia had no sacks last night. That's obviously, not, that's obviously not all on him. It's on the offensive line, but... It is an incredible achievement. So, uh, anyway, we should get to the, the main story of the weekend. Are they going to win the World Cup? Does, is anybody in any doubt? Is anybody in any doubt? Well, Alan Quinlan will be on. He obviously played it down a bit uh, last night on TV. Um, but it was like I was at the game Saturday. It was strange seeing being there and thinking that the French were coming over, feeling that like the French fans were really up for this. They felt like the underdogs that they were and. It's hard to believe you're watching uh, the top-ranked two teams in the world. Don't give any of that stuff goes yeah, away. Let's make this official. <clears throat> so here's what's coming up between now and uh, 10 o'clock. Performance rankings. Alan Quillen, as we've said, 5 past 8, probably a little bit before even. Sports pages, uh, 8.25. Um, Sarah Dunham is going to talk hurling at 8.50. Mike Carson, we're going to rouse him from his slumber, having been up till uh, half three this morning. We should probably do a Super Bowl show where you effectively just watch the Super Bowl, don't go to bed at all. And then come in and present at half seven. Uh, further to my ripped elbow, <laughs> like too old. Can't yeah. do that shit anymore. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. You think? Oh, it'd be hilarious, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just be like drooling man, head slumped. You'd be surprised. You'd be. Yeah, you'd be fine until ten a.m. Yeah, and then you get fired for saying something stupid. Uh, seven thirty-six. Time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. The performance was just lacked that intensity. We're, uh, we're breaking protocol here. And instead of starting in the red and moving to amber and finishing with the green, we're starting with the green because Ireland are in green. And we figured that we need to give this enough time to let it breathe. It's one of those situations where... There are literally too many storylines to be able to talk about this properly, like unless we had, uh, you know, weeks to do it. And actually, it turns out, luckily, we do have weeks to do it. So we will get to all the storylines. If there's a bit that you think we haven't covered today, feel free to get all busy in our comments about, oh, you didn't talk about this. Like, yeah, I know. Okay, fair enough. But um, like, uh, there was just too much happening. Yeah. Well, I have one way to, to frame this, right? As, as you say, we have two weeks to talk about this. I watched the match on TV and I couldn't get over the atmosphere and attention in that first half and how exhilarating it was. You were both at the game. What was it like? I missed I missed the whole uh, Sexton bawling his eyes out at Ireland's call. I couldn't, because I was actually filming to send to the kids. Going, oh, uh, but I had missed the whole, like, him being unable to sing it and then desperately trying to sing it. 
And the camera kind of panned away from me, like, just sat on Johnny Sexton for a minute and a half here. Let's see this. You know? He's no, because then then it becomes something that he's probably consciously uncomfortable about. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. It was real. It wasn't contrived. No, but... To be fair, it was great. That, that was amazing. I thought that was absolutely amazing. He was he, asked about that post-match. Could mm. you see it? On the big screen, yeah. So I, was, yeah. I wasn't close enough to... But yeah, absolutely. It was, I was very, very striking. It was like... I mean... Ireland's call is quite maligned our national anthem isn't the most inspiring at all you know it's like I think most of the Irish were more up for the La Marseillaise because we love that anthem mm. we do but, but, but Sexton was like this was like what a, anyone who saw that was like Jesus this is something special about to happen here I think he mentioned afterwards that um, they discussed the significance of the anthem in the build up to the match mm. so well, it didn't come Monday, out of nowhere like on Monday uh, Brian O'Driscoll and Craig Doyle who the picture camera caught Craig Doyle in the crowd was I, that, that was well. one of my highlights um <laughs> And, uh, sorry, I've completely forgotten the name of the guy from Ulster who had come in with him, who was obviously part of uh, Brian's documentary. I looked at it for now a second when my brain starts working again. But um, they come in on the Monday, and it, like Stephen Ferris had mentioned, the pre-match as well. And uh, obviously they had decided that this is something about the togetherness that, like, you know, the slow build-up from here to the World Cup, they've got to reach certain emotional pitches. Because you can't do this. They can't be crying for the anthems for the game against Italy, you know? I, I, I was in uh, I was in Canada last week on the way over eight hour flight I read the Willie Anderson book basically top to bottom and um his his you know, he was on about like the the anthems and this is before kind of the Ireland's call time and um he made a point of saying that it was sort of a bit of an issue and you know, I I, I it did get me thinking, have have we sort of where are we with Ireland's call? You know, does it is it is it kind of half we half we half mock it and we half kind of like it because I I remember liking that start but now I kind of struggle to get going with this. But anyway, so when I was getting the flight back, I watched the Jack Charlton documentary. And is there a little bit of that now where we have an Englishman taking over what is going to be the greatest Irish rugby um, kind of spell of all time, and a very very likable one of that. Very likable. Like he's just. Is it's, there anything bad to be said about Andy Farrell? No, it's funny. It's how the, those uh, North of England people are very similar to us. It's true, you know, not those softy Southerners. It's, um, but you know, people. The, the players seem to love the camp. They seem to love playing for him. And there's, I don't know Ger- what you thought of the game Saturday. Like, if I was at three Irish rugby games last year, I was totally underwhelmed because they completely bashed the three teams they were playing. This was a proper test. There was a great atmosphere at the game and. Ireland battered France, really. I thought they were worthy of... I mean, the stat about the time that was spent, um, you know... What was the stat column you had? Yeah, so France scored 19 points despite only spending a total of 57 seconds in Ireland's 22. 57. Another way of looking at it is Ireland kept France out of the 22 for 79 minutes and 3 seconds. You know, the, the... there were so many moments as well. Like the, the Keenan try was like something out of the Super Bowl. The way it was worked it was like that's like something yeah. you'd see from a kind of a, a running back making a false run or something like that. And an end around. And then the, the French first try. Like my my one gripe of rugby at the moment is that there's far too the players are too big to allow space for free movements of players like that. And that French try was insane. The handling, everything about it. And that was I was looking at the, the clock at after half an hour. It was like if this scoring continues, like this is going to be a basketball score. Yeah. The ingenuity was incredible because Roland O'Gara yeah, was on the show yesterday with Joe, and he said you don't practice that little scoop pass yeah. that France did. And I mean the margin for error is so fine at that level of the game because mm. that could have been another try for Ireland. And then twelve seconds later. France are touching down like it was a pretty good try some missed tackles in the middle which maybe if we'd lost <laughs> yeah, it was the combination yeah, yeah. of uh, was it Murray and, Ke- and uh, 
Keenan, was it? Or Hansen bumped into each other basically trying to stop yeah. that one. But um, I mean, like the pace to get there. And like you say, it was a throwback kind of barbarians-esque try from 50 years and, ago. And sorry, I was right beside like effectively where... Now, there seemed to be a lot of French fans there. When Alele Blue was like 10,000. Yeah. So I was beside like a big portion of... And when... When maybe when they broke the first tackle in that move, or the, the place absolutely lit up. I was like, Jesus, I've never seen this before. Oh, visiting fans, the French fans could almost feel, oh, this could be this could be a try like of the ages. Yeah, yeah they can see. And it. I was like, oh my god! And the 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 whole the French fans just seemed to be so up for it. Like I, I've never been at a game like it. Anyway, uh, the greatest. Six Nations game in history, according to Owen Slot today in the Times. So we're like, oh, this is one of the great games of all time. Mm-hmm. Certainly one of the best opening halves, 40 minutes. And he does like that's the best he 40 minutes it, yeah. of international rugby I've seen. And it's like, no, 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 this is definitely like uh, as good as you're going to see two teams. Like, I actually think DuPont was man of the match. I've never seen a performance as amazing. The Hansen tag was absolutely insane. <laughs> but that every, was insane. everything else he yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah, else. The <clears throat> he was centrally involved in like, and he was there for, I, he might have been running the trail line for uh, that try as well. If, if it had. <clears throat> I would have crabbed him regarding the kick, but the more I look at the end, but the more I look at it, like was the pass necessarily on Ireland's defence seemed to be very good. And the other it. thing is that bounces, uh, bounces yeah. left instead of right. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, um, so we, we, we were relatively fortunate in, in many different ways, including the uh, the try. It was never a try. It was fairly obvious in the ground. It James wasn't Rose. a try. I mean, I think the crowd did their bit. Um, Wayne Barnes kind of backed himself into a, a corner by saying on-field decision try. It needs to be, you know, massively obvious. And then as soon as this try got scored, the picture emerges. I don't know who controls those pictures, but if this was in France, we would be complaining about the the French. So you've got you to hold your hands up and say... Whatever happened there, that's a failing on the part of the TMO and whoever's providing the pictures because it was clear his right foot was in touch. And I think it wasn't it was, at the time, though. I think it was. No, I, I think yeah. there's no, I mean, if you understand how like angles go, mm. what goes up has to have come from somewhere. Mm. He can't go, <clears throat> he didn't go straight. So it, it had to be coming up and it had to have come off the ground. I, mean, I thought it was fairly obvious. Watching but, um, on TV, it seemed like was there was no way it was a try. I don't know what it felt like in the stadium watching it, but the one thing that I was laughing at, you see afterwards when uh, James Lowe was caught in the big screen and uh, did a face of like, I can't believe that's been allowed. And yeah. you could actually hear the, you could hear the crowd laughing from yeah. TV. He's, it was brilliant. He, is he like, I, I think he's, you know, they, they say Kiwis and Irish are kind of similar, but Jesus, he must be the most popular Kiwi, like, more popular than Joe Schmidt. Like he's just, he's just the most likable fella and epitomises the, the smile on on the face of the players in the squad. I, and I thought as much as maybe he got fortunate, I thought the ingenuity of his footwork for that try yeah. was still amazing, even if we got lucky. He left the earth. Yeah, left oh, it's amazing. Earth. It, it was, was it unbelievable. Was, it, yeah. And, it and that incredible. probably goes to show his attitude towards life, which is just kind of go for yeah. it. And his reaction afterwards I'm, I'm to the camera. I'm fairly sure Brian O'Driscoll scored the exact same kind of try uh, that we got away with um, in the game the year after he scored his hat-trick. Uh, would never have been given now, but sure was given. And, I, yeah. and I, it, look, here's the thing: like Ireland totally deserved to win that game, regardless was he, of what happened. Was he tackled? Was it a no arms tackle? And if it was a no arms tackle, then it's going to be a penalty try. And if it's yeah. a penalty try, then we get the conversion, and we actually, you know, France should have been down to fourteen. There was a ridiculous late tackle on Johnny Sexton that was missed. In no, my it view. wasn't missed. It wasn't missed. They played penalty advantage for that. Okay. Um, and there uh, we go. I, well, that's what he said. That's what Wayne Barnes said afterwards. You were playing penalty advantage, although he, he didn't. He nearly, have his arm yeah, we up. nearly scored from it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was 31 minutes without sex and the game was in the balance and Ireland mm. ended up winning the game with 13 points. Like, that's a, a really good sign ahead of the World Cup. Mm. But, I, like, were we back here in 2018 talking about the same thing? 
heading into 2019 start of the year being like this could be it what's the difference oh, now oh totally well absolutely the difference now is that we've won the first two games of the Six Nations England came and, and yeah. physically just said there's a really easy way to stop you doing what you're doing and that's just a smash it yeah. and just also there was TV, just yeah. no strength in depth like we were playing Robbie Henshaw full back in that game mm. and the style of play had not iterated we were like oh we were really good last year we're going to do exactly the same thing this year and we'll move on um, and now it seems as if that's not the case at all so proper strength and depth and uh, there you go everybody arguing in the comments about Ireland's call instead of celebrating what an amazing victory it was what's wrong with you people so come Irish on, people, Irish people don't come know on. they don't know what to do with themselves <clears throat> we're just not used to having the best team in the world at any sport maybe individual sports were quite good at throughout the years of boxing and golf yeah. but actually having the best team in the world undisputably if you saw the French reaction in the press uh, on Saturday evening and into Sunday it was like undoubtedly we lost against the best side of the world not just in the rankings. And you're, you're on about going back playing Astro 34. Like, in, like that, that run that Sexton made and that, you're like... What? I know, yeah. Uh, incredible. Like incredible. 37 years Him old. Him and uh, and actually outstripping the... Was it the six, or the, the six or the seven from France? You're like... How good was Doris as well as, as somebody who's like... Who kind of watches rugby like in and out? I thought he was phenomenal. Like in, his handling, everything yeah. was like... The pass for the ring rows. Yeah. Thing. Sorry, the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, 30 seconds in, spider cam... <laughs> Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, I oh, forgot James about that. Yeah, yeah. I was. You see the spider cam, like it rushed back really, like really, it was just embarrassed by what it had done. It kind of rushed back, like I don't want to be seen here. Show us the anger from above, you cowards! Like that's what I wanted to see. <laughs> oh, I to see where the ball hit. Yeah, yeah. Want, uh, then you run, you know what one of those you jump off the screen like yeah. a bunch of that cowards. That footage must <laughs> exist somewhere because um, it's the same thing that happened in the NFL game the previous week in the championship game where the Eagles had hit it. Uh, but with a with a punt, but they couldn't find footage to prove that it had happened, yeah. even though the whole stadium had seen it. And because of that, they couldn't get they couldn't retake it. <laughs> so I was like, I actually thought he hadn't kicked it well. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you have a view of it? But yeah, I started, yeah, we were behind it. I was like, that that wasn't a great kick. But actually, on the TV when I look back, at it was it looked like it was going to be a good kick, and so therefore. Um, but we get the scrum. You're like, all right, that's okay, that's interesting. And then our scrum holds up. Like our scrum holding up, that's the first thing. Well, oh, this, this scrum can't possibly hold up. We're missing all our best scrummages and our best players. And it's like, well, hang on a second now. I mean, um, was it Raj saying Ty Furlong doesn't just get the jersey back automatically? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a pair of them in it now. Finley yeah, Like yeah. if if that pop pass had come from Ty Furlong, there would be like, you know, the the fanboying would not stop. So Finley Beelham deserves every single bit of praise that's coming his way. Yeah, it suggested uh, Beelham's learning off uh, Furlong, and uh, that's what O'Gara was saying yesterday. To Joe, he was like, in his own experience as a coach, that he will not want to uh, relinquish that shirt. No chance. Like, it's not like, uh, back mm. to you now, Tyke. He said, this is going to be seriously competitive. Yeah. And you're talking about potentially to have two different 15s here in Ireland that are extremely competitive. Well, that, that's one of the things that came up in conversation yeah. from their time in Portugal. We talked to Quinny about that in, in just a little while as well. Um, and then, was there something else? Oh, Tom O'Toole obviously coming on and like blasting through tackles. Like, yeah. Tom O'Toole's only 24, you know? So, like, he's not supposed to be world class just yet he's got another three or four years of learning how to scrummage properly and um, but if you can have that kind of impact and we're this far down the depth chart at this point then maybe he catapults himself up the depth chart a bit and all of a sudden like I think that's the bit that made them so happy afterwards this wasn't our first team playing really well this was like you know you're looking around who's fit who's available and um, and dealing with the problems that they had and, and still there were two or three tries a better team I thought on the yeah. day yeah, really did. Now maybe in, I was thinking this like, what will 
it'd be what will the difference be playing in France? Um, but on that on that display, Ireland are definitely better than France. Yeah, you just hope it didn't peak too soon, but I don't think they did. I don't think no. I I, um, you, I do think though that like home advantage matters a huge uh, amount. It, so when we play France, it'll be in the Stade de France, and there'll be like a tiny pockets of Irish fans. I think it was interesting that Farrell played that up for the match as well, because like I have been at Six Nations games, and we spoke with this pre-show about like the whole Ferrari about people going for beers. People didn't go for beers Saturday in the game because, as you say, Jerry. They didn't want to leave. They didn't want to miss anything. But how could you? Like when um, the game was good, no one goes for beers. That's what happens. But like I was at Six Nations last where it was. Just, there was just such a formality. It was quite dead. There was no real atmosphere there. And in fairness, I mean, I, I still think rugby is different to football in the in the sense of the atmosphere. But it was it was pretty pretty amazing at times on Saturday. Yeah, I look. It's in such a good moment. Like we sit here Monday morning reflecting on that performance. You're talking about 13 consecutive Test victories at the Aviva, and in the last year, Andy Farrell's side has beaten every major side in mm. sport. France putting the the French victory putting the bow on that it's remarkable and like another thing too like Ross Burns performance in the last half an hour definitely want to like, get Quinny on that because like, ah, we, we, we were touching yeah. that with Quinny and then like does anything epitomise Sexton's career so much as that sprint to help his team get up the pitch and then he got clattered and he basically wasn't the same after that and got subbed at the start of the second half and I'm like that is Sexton in a nutshell doing something remarkable sacrificing himself and inspiring the team to a victory but it's in a great place at the moment. But yeah. it'd be interesting to hear Quinny talk about more it, it in is detail. Incredible. It is absolutely incredible. Like Sexton, we should not take for granted just how incredible Sexton is at this stage of his career. Still, oh, it's unbelievable. Still driving those standards. Still dominating the agenda pre and post match. Like it, it, it is completely remarkable that at his age he is still able to do this. Um, the, the end of Owen Slot's piece. Farrell has strength and depth to take on the world, and he's like, these are amazing. These incredible times. And he lists all the achievements and how great uh, Farrell is. And then obviously talks about our natural national preoccupation with um, the quarterfinals. And he's like, yeah, the draw means they will play Scotland and South Africa in their group. And then New Zealand or France in the quarterfinals. So even if they haven't peaked too early, even if they haven't become too reliant on Sexton, even if they haven't finished off, or even if they have finished off with this Grand Slam and are still the number one team in the world, it would actually still be no surprise if they didn't get beyond the quarterfinals. Yeah, but like, let's enjoy the moment as well. That's this thing. this no, is an unbelievable yeah. Six Nations campaign. Scotland are gonna, you know, it's 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 not a formality. That game in Edinburgh is going to be incredible as well. Yeah, um, uh, England th- last at home, mm. potential Grand Slam, the first time to win it at the Aviva. Good, good question here from Flying Hellfish ninety nine. Can we do away with silence for kickers? La Marseillaise during the kicks was great. Yeah, the French don't care. Yeah, none of that silence bollocks. Amo <laughs> did not react. Didn't even flinch. Yeah, the national anthem was blaring out when he was sitting. That was amazing. Yeah. Strangely, they took him off. I know Jalabert came uh, on. And, uh, I did think because he just he, he just, just landed kicked, a kick flawless as well. Um, and he done isn't a big fan of Ramo overall, but kicking wise, geez, he, mm. the guys, it was both their wingers. I thought were sensational. I thought I thought Ramos was grand to be honest. But anyway, okay, so that's in the green. What do you want to do now, Colin? We're in uh, uncharted well, territory. Well, we're just keep on going with green and then finish at red in the Welsh rugby. So the other green is uh, Manchester, Johnny, both on the uh, the male and female sides this weekend. All four victories. Yeah, right. great week for Man City, obviously. Um, I hope the book is thrown at them, but um, they seem to rally and their fans um, gave, it a, gave it a bit of uh, welly yesterday for the victory over Villa. Man United it was a strange one. I watched a good bit of that game and uh, they weren't. They were under the cosh, but they're just finding a way of doing it. And uh, Rashford, again, I mean, it's phenomenal what he's doing. And Rashford being a world-class header of the ball is like uh, last two weeks, new thing. Like, could you do that the whole time? <laughs> Absolutely. Were Eight you? goals in his last nine games. Incredible. Um, uh, this is a Cantona-esque run to the league. Yeah. 
Uh, he, the, he's coming in the Elisa uh, mentality monster as Jurgen Klopp once said about his own players I don't know what Eric Ten Hag has done to that guy but he is finally fulfilling the world class potential that he's always had last year like people, most United fans were quite happy to see the back of Rashford he mm. played the Barcelona and PSG it's like yeah off with you maybe come back in a few years time get your head right and become the player that we know you can he's absolutely phenomenal at the moment and Ten Hag, you know, reacting to the disappointing two all draw against Leeds during the week with that performance. They weren't, as you said to me yesterday, Johnny, they weren't exceptional United by any means. Leeds were decent, but they got the job done. It's a classic title winning type performance. And Man United, Man United fans now, like, there's always this lovely feeling of your team wins and you watch Monday Night Football and Liverpool are have now become irrelevant relative to Man United for the, for the time being. Anyway. Well, they'll never be irrelevant. I know what you mean. The, as in, they're not yeah. like, all of a sudden. They're not challenging. Yeah. They're not even. <clears throat> are they challenging for the top four? No, they're nowhere near it. Probably not at this stage, yeah. So tonight's going to be fascinating, I think. Uh, but it's been an exceptional, exceptional weekend for Manchester United overall. The, in the WSL, they went to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, beat Spurs 2-1, top of the league. So United could be winning one league title at least in WSL. My niece went to her first uh, football game yesterday. She went to this one, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, right. with uh, my sister and husband, and had the full Spurs kit on, and started loudly chanting for United. Cool. <laughs> She liked the red team. All right, or, fair enough. You're she like knows herself. She sees she sees the potential on this side to actually win the league. There we go. Typical Man United fan though, living in London, right? <laughs> They're trying to make her a Spurs fan. She's not having it. She knows. Fair enough. Um, maybe they should have taken her to a game where they were going to win, but um, a rookie mistake that they they can rectify when I don't know Villa roll in town or somebody else. Uh, I thought the team that Pep picked was interesting. Um, it was basically the Harlem Globetrotters side and. In the middle of the game, the commentary, they're like, oh, you can't, you can't do this. You can't do this against Arsenal. Bernardo Silva's at left back. It's like, oh, it's funny. It's funny they're missing somebody who, if had been playing in that same position, they would have been like, oh, wow, look at Cancelo. Look at his positioning. It's so mature and intelligent. What an articulation of his philosophy this is. But because it's Bernardo Silva, they're like, well, it's Saka. He's going to be running up against That's not going to work. So we'll see what happens. But I did feel like that was a team picked to go and beat the shit out of Aston Villa in the first half. Dominate the game and then go, yeah, this is us. Come on. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in hindsight you're saying that. Like they were three. Oh, no, I said it as I said You think so? I saw, <laughs> yeah. when I saw the team. Oh, really? Like, well, it was three at the back and yeah. five, all the world's best forwards. <laughs> yeah. like, so, I saw a tweet say, like, someone tried to find me four defenders in this man's city side. <laughs> He's not having it at all. Uh, but don't worry, now with Erling Haaland going off injured at half time. Yeah, I didn't see in that it's serious. Uh, uh, they were like hopeful, and it's in the back pages there that he might be there for the game. But I don't know. I mean, look, you know, they'll all go back and go. Uh, did you, the post match, the uh, Gundogan post match interview, mm. uh, Jeff Reeves was probing a little bit around as much as you can do in those. It's like oh, Erling, and they, yeah, he played well. I mean, he was making the runs to create space for other players, like he's supposed to. Obviously, he scored a load of goals. This was Gundogan in his like slightly clipped Germanic, and you're like, okay, that's interesting. He's a uh, captain having a having a go off. Haaland. Haaland's not been playing that well recent games though. Like in fairness, so he made a goal in the first half, right? Mm. And he and he made some other runs. And like it, you know, Haaland hasn't played well. The rest of the team hasn't played well. Mm. Do you know? Like, and Haaland has scored more goals by Christmas than you know mm. most Premier League scores uh, will score in the whole season. So. The, the criticism of Haaland, whatever is, you know, whose job is it to make him fit in the team? It's everybody's job. But they weren't, like, there was definitely an undercurrent there. Like, well, it's, it's up to him. Well, I was asking, I was asking Clive Allen on Friday in the kickoff, like, as brilliant as Haaland is, generational talent and all that, it was like, did he pick the wrong club to go to? 
because he's going to score goals regardless of where he plays but he seems we were saying this at the start of the season and it looked like the most ridiculous thing ever can I just ask you though? So yeah. he's, he's co-opted Clive Allen's experience goals he loves name, Clive Allen celebrity and uh, into his point Clive Allen roundly dismissed it <laughs> <laughs> just, just for the record there for everybody who's watching <clears throat> I, I'm I'm putting it to I, you I could be there on a Monday night right just kind of minding my own business maybe watching like TG Carr or something and I would get a, a WhatsApp in of Clive Allen scoring a goal for QPR um, yeah. from Cullum there's, there's a lot of bromance there. Well, uh, yeah, I mean that, I think that happened once but it was it was memorable when I did it because it was New Year's it was New Year's when I did mm. it but, I mean our latest chat was to do with music there's, there we go so it could be anything um, there is a little bit of a debate around Haaland now if that doesn't sound ridiculous as in at times when when you're playing like a kind of a defence that's sitting back a bit and Man City are, are a bit lethargic and a bit slow in possession he doesn't look as, he doesn't really look like he's the amazing player that he is um, so yeah it'll be interesting Gundogan for me he's very interesting in interviews he's actually quite candid yeah, he yeah. questioned their questioned their hunger effectively well there was a like, skirmish it, for the penalty he was going to take yeah. the penalty and he had to step in yeah, yeah. yeah. and let Maris take it I think Rodri was around the ball Haaland was around the ball yeah what's Rodri doing like I've already scored one I'm going to score again it's like but <laughs> What are you talking about? That's not how this works. Yeah, good to wonder well there. Right I d- it didn't look like Haaland was. Haaland was like, no, it's his turn. He he sees it anyway. Yeah. All right. Okay. We'll move on Keep, to Amber. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. What's an Amber, Johnny? You don't uh, know. What is an Amber? Actually, Amber is Arsenal again. I I didn't see this game, so I am. Um, but but we are we are at that moment where Arsenal is this the sort of what are we the two week run where they kind of. Um, lose their grip on the Premier League and it did sound like uh, we had a big kind of VAR debacle for uh, Arteta um, I, I feel a little bit of Lee Mason forgot to draw the line yeah. he forgot to draw the line like not, liter- not, not not draw the line in the sense of like I've had enough here in draw the VAR room line. he forgot to accurately assess the situation mm. so Brentford's goal should not have stood and Arsenal should have won but now it's great for the league because Man City won and it's really tight again yeah, although you'd probably nearly want Arsenal to be further. You'd want them to be five or seven clear because you you think if if Man City win Wednesday, no, but I'm, that's I think it's great for the match this weekend. Like this, week, uh, as you say, only two days away. This Wednesday, it's kind of gone under the radar. Arsenal play Manchester City, yeah. and now it's tantalising after what happened the weekend. Um, big challenge for them now after this uh, this run of games. Um, but it, it does sound like they were a little bit unfortunate. Um, I don't know where I am at VAR. I just I think it's gone from one extreme to the other of late where it's missing ridiculous things. Well, I, I suggested it goes into the performance rankings. Chant Mature yesterday, we were both like, ah. Oh, VAR. Yeah, talk about VAR. Like, oh, like yeah. here's the thing. It's a, like, so it's, it's exactly the same. It's human error, but it's like uh, slightly less egregious. That's it. Yeah. The, oh, I put the flag up. I didn't put the flag up. It's the same thing. It is, that It'll is, get better. I think that's know. exactly it. It is human error. It's still mm. a human being making the decision. Yeah. VAR is just assisting. Now, literally it, assisting. Yeah, I don't know if you're following the uh, evolution of AI, but we're over the weekend. Everybody's like, "Oh, the the evolution of AI has been uh, linear for decades, and then all of a sudden it has stopped being. And now it's become exponential, and now it's reaching a point where it's hyper exponential." So I guess within the next eighteen months is that there'll be no there'll be no human involved in any of the decision making in this. That there'll just be like we'll know immediately when a ball is kicked. <clears throat> they do it in tennis, and they take the challenges away now, so players have three challenges remaining. But instead, it's um, literally like it will tell you, the system will tell you whether it's in or out and you just go on with the game quickly. And yeah. that's exactly where football should get to. Brentford, though, unbeaten in 10 in the Premier League. Amazing. Brentford are really good. They're incredible. They're just the second side to take points off Arsenal at the Emirates this season. Newcastle were the other. Mm. Uh, overall, though, Arsenal could have been in the red. WSL, they lost to Manchester City 2-1. Katie McCabe on the bench again. Came on. 
So they, they were it's very, very dark amber. They could have gone to red here, Arsenal. They just squeaked it because the, they didn't lose against Brentford. The big news of the weekend, obviously. We, we, okay, so we're going to get to the red. Uh, Evan Ferguson came off the bench, just so you're all... Yeah, 57th minute, yeah. <sighs> That's okay. They were also pretty good. And um, sorry, we should have... That was a concern. And had another VAR disallowed goal there. Right we should have put Chris Hutton in the green. He's got, uh, got the gig in Ghana full-time. Mm-hmm. It looked like they were heading that direction. Um, so uh, we wish them all the very best. Uh, what is in what else have we got in red? Red, we have uh, we can start here with Nathan Jones. It's all Welsh, all red, yeah. very Welsh team. Nathan Jones, ninety four days in the job in a three and a half year contract. Mm-hmm. Last seven of his Premier eight Premier League games in charge. Last nine of his fourteen games overall. They did beat Manchester City in the League Cup in the quarter final to reach the semi final of the League Cup under Nathan Jones. And he got the job in November, so he would have had uh, a significant impact in the League Cup. So there was that. But once those comments aired after the Brentford defeat last weekend, where he says, I've had to compromise my beliefs in order to uh, progress. Well, he's also bigging himself up as one of the best managers, statistically. And you're you're like, well, if some of the board is trying to back you here, sometimes I wonder... um, do players sort of not necessarily take to a manager at a particular club? Because he's obviously been so good at Luton where he'd obviously lost the plot of late and it was, the game was up. And I think in fairness to the board, they were like trying to give him a chance. But, the, you know, you can't be, you can't be gambling on your, your Premier League future with the money involved. No, um, he was referencing, yeah, referencing his uh, spell, two spells with Luton Town, and he's saying pound for pound, we had the mm. best statistics in the championship. Uh, Sky Sports looked into it, published those stats, and that was not the case. Then no. you're done, kind yeah, of, yeah. Done, yeah. And, and of course, Lance and Gerrard and the likes being referenced as potential, I mean, it'd be, be good fun if it were to happen. I'd say Jesse Marsh might get it. Jesse Marsh, heavy link this morning, yeah. Southampton, a big fan of his uh, high-pressing style. Now, Leeds players weren't, but maybe Southampton fans will be. All right, well, it's rugby in the green, sorry, in the red, obviously, um... New lows, new lows, week on week. We thought that, like, you know, we'd, we'd expose them somehow and that uh, the team that they picked this week would be, be a backlash, but no sign of the backlash. How much, how much of this is Welsh, Wales being shite or Scotland being actually quite good? I think we need to be very, very wary of Scotland. Mm. Like, yeah. um, Finn Russell, you know, Finn Russell seems to be all in. Uh, Has there ever been a better display of kicking to find, uh, you know, a winger? Like it was, some of his kicks were just yeah. so on the button. Now I'm also wondering, are Wales that bad? They looked so bad in so many well, aspects. Was a maverick anyway, regardless oh, but of Wales. Like that, that so pass. He, um, I mean, he's had a baby. That that seems to have um, settled him down. His partner's moved to Paris, and um, so uh, fully tuned in. Finn Russell faces Ireland in the World Cup. Stands between us and. Um, Place in the quarterfinals. What about the Six Nations? I mean, uh, yeah, the, the players in the Six Nations. This is the big game in the group. Like, forget yeah. about the World Cup for a moment. Like, lo- losing to this Ireland and Scotland side is no shame, but the manner of the of both defeats have mm. been alarming. Uh, can you, do you think Warren Gatlin's like, uh, I shouldn't have, could never go back? Mm. Do you think he's regretting it? Do you? Gatland? No, I don't think so. I think that uh, this is uh, like a really difficult start like this gives you the opportunity to go in and completely revolutionise whatever it is that you need to do. And I, he clearly loves Welsh rugby. He, he He's obviously very suited to the temperament there. And, you know, there'll be a, a crowd of kids coming through between now and the next World Cup. And he's he's got a contract that takes him up to at least halfway, but with the option to go the whole way. So anyway, right. That's this week's. Anything else? That is this week's. That is this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings. OTBAS Performance Rankings with Gillette. It is a victory Monday, eight minutes past eight. Alan Quillen is here. Alan, how are you? Morning, lads. Yeah, good, thanks. Um, 
the greatest Six Nations game of all time? So some people are saying I wasn't there. I was in Murrayfield, so I was watching as well as uh, many others. Yeah, I think it was um, it was an unbelievable game, wasn't it? Frantic, great skill, great pace, tempo to the game. Two best teams in the world, and and sometimes we've spoken about the the label of one and you know where you're ranked. Um, sometimes it's justified, and sometimes you're kind of a little bit yeah. But Ireland deserves the credit now, and I think. Um, we're all going to be a little, still a little bit um, sceptical and not get too far ahead. But on the balance of what we've seen, not just uh, in that game, um, I go back to New Zealand and even the previous November where they beat Japan, Argentina, New Zealand, Argentina, the performances there. Um, Andy Farrell has done an incredible job. Um <clears throat> There's a couple of things, right? We we uh, we shouldn't get carried away, but actually, the joy of sport is trying to feel alive. And we should get a little bit carried away because this is a, yeah, this is about as good it. as it gets. Yeah, you have to enjoy it, and yeah. um, ultimately, we, we all keep saying we're going to be judged at the World Cup, and you could do brilliantly now, and uh, you know, you come unstuck at the World Cup. You just saw what happened in the Soccer World Cup, the way people are devastated and upset when it happens when you're knocked out and you're a fancy team. Ireland are going to be fancied at the World Cup now. A lot of English journalists and people online actually really taken, given Ireland massive credit for the way they're playing, the system, the composure, uh, the fitness levels, the skill levels, all that kind of stuff. You go back two years ago, but this team was getting questioned. They lost their opening fixture in 2021 to Wales and then to France. It was blunt against Italy a little bit. Um one in Scotland with that late penalty from Johnny Sexton, 27-24, I think. And then the performance against England was the one that kind of kick-started the attack progression. And, you know, we'd heard a lot of players say, well, you know, we're working hard on attack and we believe in the system and my cat was under pressure. So, you know, coaches and players always have dips and low points and, and times where you have to dig in. And I think the progression of this team has been nothing short of phenomenal really the way that's the key thing for me is that um, Johnny was asking earlier on like what's the difference between this time or maybe it was Colin what's the difference between this time and, and four years ago and the difference is that our game is improving the players are getting better they, like it's not like we've discovered a thing that works and we're going to get really good at that and we're going to just focus on that so it, it, when in the game when the game was kind of in in balance we decided to start kicking for the corners and turn them around, which, you know, we're not just one thing. And I think for me, the thing, the thing, Ger, is I felt even when France were putting on that pressure and got that try in the first half from Penault, it was a wonderful try, I genuinely felt Ireland would go up the field and score again. You just get that feeling about this team that even if they someone attacks them back... And historically, you know, you're hanging on and in a big game and you're nervous, God, what the, will the All Blacks do and what will England do or South Africa against you? Now you just feel that these guys have a level of composure and control and belief in themselves. And that has to come from the boss. You know, Andy Farrell has done a remarkable job here. Nobody, I think their biggest strength with respect to the, to, to the players is collectively they're all at just a high level of diligence in what they're doing fitness level skill level we don't have X factor geniuses who can run out over people and just do something out of nothing and uh, something special in the game but they're all at such a high level 
And there's probably eight or ten of this team, if you were picking a World 15, even before the weekend, that you'd say would be in the conversation because their form has been so good with Ireland. We obviously have X-Factor in the forwards, though, where you're like, are these lads, like, top, well, They're top. not the biggest players in the world, Johnny. They're not like, you know, they're not an Eben Etzebet mm. for South Africa, who's just freakishly big. Um, but they're... they're Absolutely excellent players. James Ryan is back playing superbly. You know what Finley Beelham has well, done. I think in the last Finley Beelham is a really interesting case study where um, where we were all very concerned about what would happen. Ty Furlong is one of the unmissables. If Ty Furlong goes down, what are we going to do? If uh, James Gibson Park goes down, what are we going to do? If Sexton goes down, what are we going to do? Now it's like if Hugo Keenan goes down, okay, fair enough. I'm not sure what we're going to do. But like all of those did yeah, go Matt down. Hansen probably goes in full back. Um, yeah, that's it. And I think. It's, you, you just from Andy Farrell I think he's really interesting to listen to and if you're at one of these press conferences I remember being at the press conference in Dunedin I don't know if I've said this to you um, second test they've just been beaten well in Auckland glass half full for them because the, and, I, and really when I watched the game back that first test in Auckland um, I looked there was lots of opportunities and there were certain things that just didn't go Ireland's way they believed it and I felt straight after the game they were all saying well if this happened and you know we need to do X, Y and Z for next week and we, we, we think if we get that right and you know just one of those days that things didn't go right and um, he was at the the, the the press conference in Dunedin on the Thursday and he was literally telling the journalists there that this is what I love I loved what's happening I love the challenge I love the fact that our backs are to the wall and that mentally we're going to be really tested again in, in a bit of a cauldron down down in Dunedin. And um, I just found it intriguing to think that he was... He believed that um, mentally they were in the right place and this was a real challenge and it was it was one that he would embrace as a player himself because that's the way he played. You know, at 17 he's playing for Great Britain, Rugby League. Um, unbelievable player, mental strength... And I just sense that he was sitting at the top table. Saying, never seen to be about him either. Like you know. I, I'd love to be going out onto the field to play the All Blacks mm-hmm. in the second test here. And that's what I'm on my players to feel. And I want him to be tested and stressed mentally and physically. Uh, it's not about him, Johnny. You're right. Yeah, uh, like and he's a lovely mood. But look, it's it's they're in a good place at the moment. And the coach has created that environment. A couple of things about that too, because I, I just want to delve into that. In, in Portugal, apparently, I, don't, I can't remember where I read this today, but... Um, there was a game where they played 15 on 15 and they tore lumps out of each other and afterwards apparently Sexton said Jesus it's very hard to tell which is the first team here and like we we heard this about Kilkenny when they were at their absolute peak that they could they'd have two 15s to win the All-Ireland and then we heard the same about the Dubs the hardest game they're getting is in, in um, but like all the great teams feel that whether or not it's true if they believe that it creates this incredible sense of Every, power the reality is everybody out there knows 10, 12, 13 of those players that are going to start. But the point he's making is a really interesting one that the level of the guys behind is increasing the way they're training, the way they're challenging the so-called first team yeah. when they get a chance to run at them, that they're not kind of accepting a tackle and saying, well, look, this is the way it should be. They're actually getting stuck in and they're actually attacking them. So Andy Farrell has capped 30 players since he's taken over, which is a big number in a World Cup cycle. Now, given, you know, you had Japan and USA in 2021 fixtures, last year they were in New Zealand, so there was no tour 
in 2020 because of COVID. Yeah. They were supposed to go to Australia. So he's capped uh, 30 players. Selected 66 before the start of the Six Nations. So right. in, last week and this week, I don't know, would there be a few more? I don't think so. But it's up over. The numbers are very high. So you still get a lot of familiar faces that we can pick. But if you look back to 2019 and the loss to New Zealand, there's eight or nine different players on the starting team. So he's done a really good job in turning that around. Simon Easterby, Paul O'Connell, John Fogarty, you know, deserve massive credit. Mike Cat as well. So we're not getting to a point here that we've the World Cup won. Ultimately, and we keep saying it, you're, if you get out of the group, Scotland are going to be a problem in that group. Um, you're, you're playing France or New Zealand in a quarterfinal. They could still be beaten on their day there, but yeah. they're in a good place. So yeah. we might as well enjoy it now and give them credit. Just, just the fitness thing you mentioned, like how how notable is how noticeable is that? Because like the our last try, the French lads are almost falling into each other. I think they're getting tired. Yeah. And like you look at James Ryan's hit. Um, I think was it? It was like near the goal line. This massive, massive hit, like late in the game. It's the hunger, Johnny. And yeah. Well, probably like Doris said, the first half is one of the toughest first halves he's ever endured. Yeah. Yet second half, we're finishing. Like we were dominant in the second half. Really, we've been focused on the figures. The um the piece we do with Derek McNamara, and there'll be another one tomorrow about the. Uh, uh, length of time that the ball is in play mm. and how World Rugby's rules have shifted and they've actually shifted in our favour that the game is trying to speed up trying to have more, yeah, more ball so the game time. they want to play t- opposition can't slow it down now if you're leading a game and you're trying to manage a score in bad weather it'd be nice to have a little huddle before the line out yeah. and a few times Wayne Barnes and even the other games of the weekend which is great teams walking slowly into line outs having a little bit of a chat they're being told get in quickly Um so yeah, the game is speed. It's, um, it's, it's, they're trying to make it quicker, which is 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 important to what Ireland are doing. I like the fact that they kicked a lot as well. So many like, kicks in the game. It's unbelievable. If I give you the stats now, when you didn't hear the result and said, "Well, Ireland kicked the ball thirty nine times, France kicked it thirty seven times," you'd be like, "Borefest." Mm. But it's the diff type of kicking. It wasn't thumping it out to touch. They were tactically kicking at times, cross field kicks. And a really important part of the performance of the weekend was that Ireland didn't run back at France. They actually, it is a little bit boring when it's gone on for a minute or two, but France want to play in your half. They want to smother you, overpower you, kick the ball long, hope that you run back. And it's the length of kicks from Intimac and Dupont. They're going for distance and they want you to run back and do something silly and get turned over, kick a penalty, a goal, or kick it into the corner. Yeah. And then when they're in that strike zone, they come, they've, they have X-Factor players. They have power. They have steppers. Um, DuPont is the best rugby player in the world by a country mile. Yeah, He's I just think, phenomenal. I'm saying if you I'm take earlier. him out of that France team, yeah. it, 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 they need to wrap him in cotton wool for the World Cup. And the other thing is, France are going to learn a lot from that de- defeat. So, number one, Galtier and Sean Edwards, maybe fitness, maybe the way they played, they threw a bit of caution to the wind early on in that first half, so that you would say they, they maybe added to their own downfall a little bit. Territorially, they're normally on top, so Ireland won the 64% territory and 54% possession. Do you think they regret taking three points earlier when they would have been able to kick for the corner and get their mall going. I think if they look back in it, yes. But I think they were giving Ireland respect. There's no guarantee you'll score that mall now because Ireland no, have become, become incredibly good at defending malls and that's down to Paul O'Connell. 
How long has that taken, actually? It's probably, it takes time. Sometimes you're, we saw it in November, so we've evidence of it in November when South Africa are trying to maul Ireland. Um, I think South Africa had 20-something phases, remember, in that early on that game, and Ireland were under a lot of pressure, but they, they held their line, they defended them all. So they become really efficient. The other crazy stat in the game is Ireland missed 38 tackles. So again, it's another stat if I presented you this morning and you said, well, the team, one team missed 38 tackles here, you'd say, well, they probably lost the game. A lot, a lot of it was just incredible evasion. Like, I was doing, um, looking back at certain aspects of good defence from Ireland and in certain parts of that, good defence, there was two missed tackles in this phase, yeah. three missed tackles here. It was guys just falling off the hips, another guy trying to scramble and then the third guy would make him. It wasn't massive ground that France had made. But, um, yeah, the stats were crazy in the game and it was a phenomenal game, you know, um, just to see what, what pundits and, and journalists are saying about it. So, we have to celebrate it and say, look, they're in a really good place. Yeah, we should and enjoy this. It'll well, be, be, a, be a great yardstick for uh, to beat us with if we go out in the quarterfinal, which ultimately is, is a flick of a coin, really, no matter what kind of form you're in going into that World Cup. You play France at home in a World Cup quarterfinal, it's going to be phenomenally difficult. The, the French fans, like for me, that was an amazing aspect of sex. And said before the game, I grew up like watching Ireland generally lose to France. The French fans, they gave this impression like we're up for this, but we're underdogs here. Like we need to get behind this team. And the atmosphere was unbelievable. It was absolutely in, unbelievable. In the last kind of 10 or 15 years, the results in Dublin have been really good against mm. France. And um, we've gone to Paris a good few times and won. Um, but. The French fans at the weekend, and they they really feel that this is this is a new era for them. Winning the Grand Slam last year, the coaching team, they have a, an incredibly high number of players they can select from in the top fourteen. So their depth chart is, and they're missing a couple of players as well. They're missing they Jonathan Dante Walkie. at centre, Walkie and Villiers. Yeah. They're probably three that start from Ireland. Have an argument? To, well, there's three no argument. Four, like. There's four that will definitely start. Uh, Furlong. Sheehan, Gibson Park and Robbie Henshaw. Yeah, Those now, the thing four is, starters. In the World Cup, we're actually, by the time we get to a quarterfinal, if we make it there, there's no chance of us having everybody available because that's just how it so works. He's, and and the that's the word he used, stressed, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Ireland have been stressed in, in the first two fixtures and that's what he wants. He's planning for that. Go back to 2015 against Argentina when you had no Paul O'Connell, Sean O'Brien, Tommy Bowe, Johnny Sexton and Peter O'Mahony for Argentina. All gone after the France game. Brilliant win against France. You've a quarter. You're top the group. You've, you're playing France or Argentina the week after. There's five of them gone, and it affected the mentality of the team. Yeah. And I think obviously it was a very good Argentinian side, but there was changes in personnel, positional changes in that game, and it it, it messed. It, it, uh, yeah. it took away that it def- opportunity. It so even from a mental point of view, Jerry, you know any good team if three of your top players are out, everyone drops the heads. I've been there before on teams where we've been missing certain players and you're kind of going, God, he's an awful loss. And it's the undertone is they're a loss, they're a loss. Whereas now, ideally, you want to get to a point where, okay. And I think the biggest plus for Ireland on Saturday was Ross Bourne's mm. performances when Johnny Sexton went off. He went off early in that second half. Yeah. And there was no kind of hairy... 40, 49 minutes gone, I think. There was no kind of situation where we went, oh God, wish Sexton was on. Sexton is at a different level but I just think Ross Bourne has our, our attacking play didn't he's now got a, an incredible surge of confidence yeah. and 
he feels, you know, this is my chance and this is my moment in time, which so is really good. Let's let's talk briefly then about, so afterwards, uh, Farrell says, of the 23 players, uh, only 10 of them were available to go to commercial, which I think is what happens afterwards. But I, they I, go up into <coughs> corporate boxes yeah. and stuff like that, which is part of their, the gig and they have to do it. Yeah, so 13 of them were unavailable because of, like, knocks. <laughs> okay, so clearly it was... Um, you know, strewn all around the place. And we wait to see what the story is with Ty Byrne. I think he's gone first. Of the 13 that were unavailable, there's about five or six of them who, who lean on a bit of a knock or a bruise, <laughs> which is very shrewd. I'd, I'd, I'd probably be one of them as well. But So there's about six or seven that can't go. And yeah. then there's about six or seven who are bluffing it a okay. little bit. All and right. the, and the, the physio That's or the fired. doctor is not going to get... No, I'm only joking. Um... But of those, right, obviously, uh, Tigburn is the most serious and we really hope that there's nothing too long-term. Like, if he misses the rest of the Six Nations but is grand for the summer, like the World Cup, from Tigburn's perspective, I think, is all that matters, right? From Ireland's perspective. What about Munster? Like, well, poor Munster fellas, well, yeah. You're going to have RG Snyman back. Maybe, yeah. yeah. No, look, he's, um, yeah, his injury looked... We don't have an update. Maybe there'll be an update today. He went for a scan yesterday, I think, and uh, it didn't look great. But... Um, there would be a lot of bruised and bodied, uh, battered bodies after that. Do you take this now as an opportunity? So uh, Robbie Henshaw is back training with the group, and uh, as far as we know, because he did a piece with us, it was always the Italy game was was his. So you stick Robbie Henshaw back in the team. Do you start Bundy? Do you do you give? Um, uh, do you give Ringrose a week off? Do you give? Well, he's a week off this weekend. But like the, the natural off. inclination here is to think we make ten, twelve changes, and or or it's not. Maybe it's four. Maybe it's four changes. It's four or five changes at max. And Ronan you, Kelleher's... You, you yeah. load the bench a bit. You, there's certain guys that you would like to see, give him a little bit of a look. And Gavin Coombs, we know Ryan Baird has played. Um, a co- he's a couple of caps and he's an incredible player. He needs to probably come into the mix. Bundiaki probably needs game time. Whether he goes back with, with Connacht and plays um, in the URC this weekend, I don't know. But um, Joe McCarthy... Uh, there's a couple of them there that you could argue need 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 a shot at it or need to be on the bench anyway and get in get a mix get feel part of this. So but how, oh, what 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 like what changes are you making for the Italy game then? I don't know. Um, I think Ryan Baird will come in. Gavin Coombs should come into the mix to start, um, or Coombs on the bench. Baird to start. It it it. To give Caelan Doris a week off. Yeah, you. I don't know because, like, for me as a player, if I'm playing starting on the Irish team now, my weekend off, off is next weekend. Right. I'm getting a break. Do you want, if they don't play there, effectively some of them don't play for three or four weeks, um, for nearly four weeks. So they, they'll be chomping at the bit to, to, to be involved and to play. And um, so there's probably three or four changes I think Ryan Baird if, if Tygburn and you'd assume Tygburn is going to be out of that picture he may be back if it's if it's not too bad he might be back for for the Scotland game who knows but Ryan Baird and Gavin Coombs are the two come to mind maybe start um, Kilcoyne um, Andrew Porter is, is going hard for yeah. a fair part of the season as well so and Bundyaki is the other one Osborne, Jamie Osborne, does he come into the picture and get a run, get a start? Maybe it could happen. Um, but you don't. You want to respect Italy and not make wholesale changes. Um, so Ross Byrne starts? Again, Sexton is a weekend off next weekend. Do you know what I mean? So it depends on what the injury is like. So it's... it's um, 
Yeah, possibly Ross Ross Byrne as well. So I don't know what they're thinking, and they'll they'll give us the logic when they they kind of pick it. But you would think four or five um, changes, and you've got to keep it strong enough, though. You can't make eight or nine changes and suddenly think it's going to happen because it's not that the players underneath wouldn't perform, but it's just that cohesion that's very strong at the moment. Uh, Rob Herring situation, um, you know. Not sure what's going to happen with him and will Dan Sheehan come back, but that tackle on Saturday, there's no point in us going into it in depth. Everybody's had their opinion. It should have been a red card. And uh, um, you know, for me, it wasn't much the tackle, and clearly it's a red card. The most, the most horrifying aspect of that game for me was the fact that he he took that hit. I was very close to it, and I was like, Jesus Christ! I was like, Oh my God! Like to see a hit like that, he got himself up. And he picked up the ball very shortly afterwards, and he's like, oh, all him. over the shop. And he, he was, I was like, how is this situation where this fella is basically has to play on, and he seemed to be playing on when I don't know what's going through like his body or head at that moment. And I, I thought that was horrible to see because God knows where. Yeah, he was there's at. a lot of people have a strong opinion on that, saying when now when you get a head knock straight off. So I've been a big advocate for this. To be fair, people can accuse me of not being very. Uh, pro um, the protection of the players the issue you have there Johnny is sometimes it can seem worse than what it is mm. and I mean that respectfully um, we the initial hit you're not really sure it's a big collision what's the uh, the effect and the impact obviously when he tries to pick up the ball he's kind of stumbling a bit and then that's the point where you go whoa you need to get this player off there's a delay in him actually leaving the field and with respect to the, the process, the independent match doctor at that point is now looking at footage. So we had a problem with that in Australia with the Nick White thing where the footage was, he was looking at one shot when Nick White got a second bang off the line out. So there is an issue there and needs to be spoke about and World Rugby came out and spoke about that, that process. In the situation on Saturday, the independent match doctor is looking at footage. He needs to look at footage. You can't just pull a player off the field if it looks like that he's had a knock. We need to see some some of the evidence of the imbalance and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's a little bit of a delay there. And in their defence, they're looking at footage there. And then obviously when they see the footage, he's off. Well, should the play just stop? <clears throat> when something like that happens, should they just stop the play? There's an argument this to say yes. Yeah, there's that, an like, argument to say yes. There's an argument to say yes. Anyone watching that, as much as I didn't need a replay to know, like he was in a bad way after that, he had to be. Yeah. Uh, I guess the the uh, the reason that they don't stop play immediately is because you can then start having people faking that type of situation. That's a situation that so, can happen. And you know, so we brought in, you know, that same play, um, which is horrific to think that somebody might be risking long-term brain injury for the sake of gameplay. But I guess the, the one thing, the one counter-argument to the footage is, right, Wayne Barnes goes, there's a whiplash. Now, I, that seemed, the whiplash, he, he uses the word whiplash when he's talking to the, um, the whiplash seemed to be a, a factor which was diminishing the, uh, so it looks worse than it is, but actually, like, if you think there's a bit of whiplash, then there's a potential suspect. And the words were used as there wasn't a high level of danger. Didn't make any sense. It just he, he seemed to back himself into a corner with that, and and also with the on-field decision to try. So you have to be absolutely certain that his foot's touched the ground. Which is but James Law's try definitely wasn't a try. No, <laughs> no. his foot touched the ground. Yeah. Was it and, a no arms tackle? Um, his arm is tucked right. fairly tight. Now 
And you think he's he might be trying to target the ball at that situation, but his arm's got to be up here. He's got a dip, Antonio. So he knew it straight away. He's very oh, much. So you're talking about the uh, oh for um for yeah for the try James Law's try. Yes, Pinot doesn't use his arms. Is there any argument then that that's actually it's a it's a penalty try? It balances itself out. Yes, possibly. He doesn't try to tackle James Lowe with a wrapped arm. He's trying to get... Yeah. His two hands are trying to go through where the ball is. Apart from uh, the massive two egregious errors that Wayne Barnes made, otherwise he refrigerated... He did, yeah. He really did, yeah. Look, it's, um, in fairness, there was some tempo to the game. It was unbelievable. Ireland very fortunate with the James Lowe one. Antonio should have been red and... In, in a sense, maybe it's better it didn't happen from, from you know, would we be saying, well, against 14 men? Yeah. And there would, you know, it worked out fine that way. But Rob Herring's injury and <clears throat> the knock he took was, was of high impact and it was dangerous and... It was it's a, obviously dangerous. Like, and You look at Matthew Carley's face when, when he's, he's going yellow, he's like... Yeah. Um, Wayne Barnes on the ref link was like oh I'm taking the assist for that after the try got scored because he had to duck out of the way went inside the French 22 um, which I thought was quite funny uh, but I, I I thought like apart from the, as I say massive no, he did. he's a brilliant referee and look is this like just a quick question is this the best French team that there has been <sighs> we'll see yeah, and Ireland beat them fairly comfortably. Like we did beat them comfortably. That's the thing. They did beat them comfortably. Regardless of decisions, they France did beat played them. well. Yeah, Ireland were Ireland, Ireland were, scored three tries. They were held up four like, times like, over the line. Yeah. Um. So that that like held up what three or four times when it looked yeah. certain to score. That's the reality of it, and looked fairly comfortable. I think France did tactically would do things a bit different. Yeah. Would we won that game in France? We weren't getting possibly. The, we weren't yeah, getting that try. They're we finding did, that but, angle straight away. But, seven or eight decisions in the game last year that Ireland lost went against Ireland yeah. so France will have their video footage today and they'll be going back to the referees saying well this 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 and this should have been different so how good are Scotland uh, Liam McAvoy sorry Greg Mallon says the Ireland pack will destroy the, destroy the Scottish pack Scottish backs won't do anything without the ball bar defend I don't know if their pack is going to be destroyed by anybody no I, they're not going to be destroyed they're very competitive um, I think they've got a little bit of edge about them now um, Richie Gray and and Gilchrist a problem area from even though they're, they're they've been there a while and they've Richie Gray has been out of the setup come back in um, they're playing well from really good back row um, Crosby uh, Fagerson and uh, Richie they're, they've, they've they're dogs like you know now. yeah it's again if uh, and and uh, Finn Russell was really good in that second half. Um, They've some Hugh Jones is a really good player in the centre, so they feel good about themselves. Um, consistency's always been a problem for them. That's the first time since the early uh, mid nineties since yeah. they won two games at home or two games in a row in the Six Nations. So they'll be a, they'll be a serious threat for Ireland. There's no doubt about that. Um, Wales, Wales are really well. poor. Pardon, bigger threat in England, Scotland away. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. I think so. There's no doubt about that. Um, they were very good in the second half. Wales were poor. They look in the in in big trouble, and um, it was uh, it was a poor first half, poor executed, exec- poorly executed by both sides. But Scotland, Wales better team flaky. by a mile. Wales are flaky enough that if they'd scored that try at the end of the, the first, first half, half yeah, then they're who right knows? back in the game. You yeah, know, and but, but but they're so flaky that because they didn't, it's like oh, that's it, it's game over. They look like they've just got to go way back and just uh, start all over again, find a game plan, execute their, their attack better. It's hard to say they're badly coached, but they just looked 
so blunt an attack and not really sure what to do. Um, so they've a lot of work to do and probably the team that Warren Gatland picked on Saturday should have been the team he picked against Ireland. Yeah. And and the, there'd be less pressure. They've Shunza, the, uh, the back row was probably one bright spark from. They've Tommy Rafael in there, Jake Mor- Jack Morgan, young players, Daffa Jenkins in the second row. So they've five or six 20, 21, 22 year olds. Um, and he's got to change it up. And they left out all that experience and dropped Alan Wynne Jones, Tipperick, yeah. uh, Faletau. So. Um, they have a nice handy World Cup draw though so they can still they're on the right side yeah, yeah yeah. you can imagine um, they, they still and they'll still be there thereabouts they'll, yeah. he'll probably muster a team together and get some of these players believing in themselves they're good players but they need they have a lot of work to do so in short we're going to win the World Cup get on board the hype train you said it not me Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> no I don't think so it's a, it's a long way off and no matter what happens between now and then it's still going to be incredibly different difficult this is as good as it's ever been yeah here and now they're they're brilliant and they're playing brilliantly and I think it's not just um, it does feel a bit different as well doesn't it even even sometimes you feel that if you meet English and Welsh people and French people and say oh Ireland great they'll win the Six (laughs) Nations that you're going yeah right you really mean that now you're just being nice but you I've like I met Sam Warburton the other day and Yannick Nyanga and they're like this Irish team is incredibly good they're you know they're they're really taking notice of what they're doing, and they're you can analyze them all you want, and there's certainly areas. The obvious ones are will we go after Ireland physically, slow their breakdown. They're the very obvious ones. The same with Leinster, but analyzing what they're doing and knowing it and seeing it, it's still very very hard to stop them because they're just non-stop in how they're doing it, and their their execution is really good. Just a word about Conor Murray and his performance. His performance levels are at the very highest levels they've ever been in his entire career, and an incredibly difficult week for him as well. Yeah, it was a really difficult week, and um, his father's a lovely man, and it was very unfortunate, and we hope he recovers, and and, um, send him our best wishes. Uh, my mother said to me last week, oh God, Jerry Murray was so lovely when we have any of the parents get together. So he always brings me out dancing and he's so nice to me. And um, it's funny when you hear those kind of things and the way the parents all kind of have that connection. Um, but yeah, it's a really tough week to have that sort of distraction and to go out and play then. And I know if it was my dad or if it was, uh, was in that situation, they'd want you to play. And I'm sure Connor based his decision to be involved on dad would want me to play so and but it's still a hard thing to deal with a very difficult thing um, and he played really well and and I think the week before in Wales and it's a nice period for him now given a couple of weeks previous he wasn't yeah. in the 23 yeah. for Northampton for yeah. Munster so it's incredible what did you um, make of Sexton his attitude has been really good though I think his attitude and that's the key to it what did you make of Sexton just in, during the anthems I was like I was blown away by it at the time it was like he was it was specifically Ireland's call wasn't he totally, yeah <coughs> Ireland's call he was yeah, totally I know it's, like, it, he's he's loving being being putting on the jersey and that hunger and drive is is just gone to a level that it's, uh, it's he was looking around he was looking around during that and I, it did have the feel of like this could be my second last or my last mm. time here you know mm. and hopefully mm. there's a hiding cup final but maybe Ross Byrne will be in ahead of him who knows who knows right we've gone a bit over but sure why not because uh, Ireland are the best team in the world yeah, <laughs> really good stuff cheers lads uh, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball Brayburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green store near you with new Brayburn locations popping up every month visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee experience. 
Here's Dion Fanning and Hugh Farley on the Sunday pay-per-view. We're back with Colin Mulaney in the news after this. It was um, incredibly compelling and David Kelly in the Sindo uh, was probably the most poetic. He said, uh, wherever one looked from the elusive DuPont to the effortless Keenan, from the irrepressible Fiku to the dazzling Peno, wonder stole the heart. You know, which is, you know, nice cadence and all that. But uh, now, you know, we've been here before um, and the haters, there's enough, enough of them out there in rugby and they'll say, oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves again. And, you know, you can see where they're coming from. But um, the quality of this performance, it, it's like, well, how long am I watching rugby? Now, 40 years. It's the best coach team I've ever seen in an Ireland green jersey. They just look utterly in control of what they're doing. And um, it's, it's, you can see why, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the Aviva Stadium and, you know, people going out for points and all that. That didn't seem to be a factor yesterday. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an atmosphere. No, I, I wasn't there. I was working, but um, it seemed to be all in it together. And the natural progression, as, as Rory Keane says in the mail, you know, all aboard the hype train, next stop Paris, you know, we have to think about the World Cup. And if you, if you were to introduce a caveat... What concern? What would concern me slightly is that injury seems to be our best selector at the moment. Um, we're finding out things about Ross Byrne, Jack Crowley, Finley Beelan because of injury. Whereas you wonder, would they be better off getting ahead of it? You know, most people seem to be of the opinion that we go after the. Haven't read all the papers. We focus on the Grand Slam now and go that way. But there's still question marks over this team. For example, Hugo Keenan, if he gets injured, you know, what's our plan B? Gary Ringrose, these kind of questions, which I wouldn't mind seeing answered over the, uh, the remainder of the championship, you know. It's 8.41, you're watching OTBAM. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. You can get us 0879-180-180 on WhatsApp, or of course you can tweet us at Off the Ball AM. Colin Milani is with us. Colin, good morning to you. Jaron, uh, Johnny, how are things? Very good. What's going on? Good Where stuff. are we starting? Well, uh, last night, I don't know, you stayed up for the Super Bowl? I didn't, I didn't. Oh, no? I got up and watched the highlights this morning. Okay. Can't do that anymore. (laughs) But uh, it sounded like a cracking game, I have to say. I'm not uh, a huge NFL fan, but uh, Andy Reid saying that Patrick Mahomes will become an American football legend. That's after inspiring a side to victory in last night's match, coming from 10 points down at halftime to beat the Philadelphia Eagles by 38 points to 35 in Arizona. Mahomes struggling with that ankle injury as well. And uh, speaking of injuries, Erling Haaland with a leg injury, but... uh, Pep Guardiola saying that he's hopeful it's not too serious and that he can't play against Arsenal uh, midweek. That's after City's 3-1 win over Aston Villa in the Premier League yesterday. And elsewhere, Manchester United 2-0 winners over Leeds. Merseyside Derby tonight, which has uh, slightly gone under the radar given the form of uh, both teams, I think it's fair to say. But that one kicks off at Anfield between Liverpool and Everton at uh, 8 o'clock. In the WSL yesterday, Leicester picking up just their second win of the season. They beat Liverpool 1-0. Manchester United back to the top after a 2 2-1 win over Spurs and Aston Villa enjoyed a 6-2 win against Brighton. A busy weekend of hurling action and get a games Tipperary with a significant win in Nolan Park yesterday. First there since 2008 over Kilkenny. They were 224 to 121 winners in Division 1 of the league. Cork's uh, good start to the new season continued. Five points winners over Galway at Pierce Stadium. Dublin beat Antrim who fought back late on but Dublin winning by three in the end at Parnell Park in Wexford. 223 to 115 winners over Westmead. You were at the Dublin game. I was covering the Dublin game. Um, Antrim came back 
very well actually in the second half just chatting to Sarah outside about it um, Antrim had a couple of uh, good goal chances Neil McManus hit the crossbar also a good save from Eddie Gibbons in the second half as well I think Antrim will be disappointed that they haven't taken anything from their first two matches they pushed Kilkenny fairly close in Corrigan Park last it's great week. to see how competitive they are like I think Harlem yeah. really needs this you know and um, I watched some of the game and I mean just if their shooting were better they would have been sort yeah. of especially in the first half they had some key moments I think it's becoming a, a little bit of a, a, a theme for them that they've played well in a lot of games in recent yeah. seasons but they haven't got the results mm. and now is the time to start delivering on that I guess but you would think that they will be okay to survive in, in Division 1 and uh, hopefully make an impact then in the Championship as well but um, Great atmosphere in Galway by the looks of it I mean there were nearly 10,000 there yeah. um, obviously the, the game hinged on that sort of red card and Cork's rally in that, that two minutes but like um, I think the hurling is just going to be set up very nicely I think this year Like, Well you, you mentioned the crowd Johnny it's interesting that uh, much of the talk around the league has been about the lack of emphasis that teams maybe mm. are placing on it but then you, you tally that with the crowds that we've seen mm. so far I was in Limerick on Saturday night there was over 15,000 uh, Porky Cueve the week before there was around 20 uh, you mentioned these are insane yesterday. figures for yeah. matches that yeah. Like, they are Yeah, everybody says oh this doesn't matter it's not important but like it's just clear that Pent up desire for people to watch intercounty hurling. Yeah, and wonder will it sustain itself now as we move into championship? You'd imagine that, that it will. I think it probably. I mean, yeah. sorry, the championship crowds. I think are going to be absolutely bumper. The league can fall off a little bit, obviously, but people want Once the weather gets good. You know, yeah, like you could see Pierce saying the pitch wasn't great. I mean, it's this time of year. Um, Pitches are not good anywhere at the moment. Mm. Well, I have to say, I was in the Gaelic grounds on, in Limerick. Now that looked good. Sorry, uh, I didn't see that one. Now, yeah, Nolan Park, yeah, uh, not great. Yeah. Um, well, look at I mean, it's the time of year and stuff like that. But the the there's so many interesting storylines in hurling now. When you've Kilkenny under new management, Tipperary with that big win yesterday in Nolan Park under a new Jason manager. Ford scored two points in about four and a half seconds. Yeah, one of them like a sideline from about 150 yards out, <laughs> and then nips in and gets the short puck out immediately afterwards mm. and you're like holy shit and then afterwards they're doing the post-match on TG Carr and um, they're like oh, Jason Ford scored 114 and it's like Noel McGrath's like was it that much? Yeah yeah, no, it's not bad Yeah it's incredible tallies and then Mihal Hulahan scored 12 points I think for, for Limerick on Saturday night uh, McCarthy in the corner for Clare scored uh, something like 12 or 13 as well is, Was Mihal is this like have they just been hiding him away kind of going well, I mean, it's in, it's funny because uh, John Kiley speaking afterwards and, and everyone was praising his performance and he's like, well, you know, you have to take your chance when you get in. And that's the way it is with Limerick now. Mm. So, I mean, scoring 12 points obviously is, is huge, but you've got to take your opportunity when you're in there. And Limerick still has so many players to come back. And one of the striking things when you watch Limerick live, and, and both of you have as well, is just the, the physicality that they have. Is It looks to be a long, long way ahead of everybody else right now. And I'm not sure it takes time to close that gap. Uh, Cork have started the season well where they're probably a little bit behind in terms of the SNC work that they, they have to do and they have a really young team as well but Limerick just the depth that they have the conditioning that they have I'm just looking up Michal and he's, he's 26 or, well he's born in 97 according to Wikipedia so he's not a young fella yeah well, <laughs> younger than we are but, yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> but like, like, to be breaking through to a, an intercounty yeah, yeah. team true true you know um, it's insanely difficult at Limerick. Like it's yeah. like. Well, that's um, the thing. If they can yeah. find, if they can find a player who's capable of scoring heavily, that's all they need because mm. they still have like you know some other players to reintegrate, and we'll see what happens with the yeah. Aaron Glan situation. But um, you know, Keane Lynch is slowly getting back to being Keane Lynch. Yeah, like this team is still looking pretty ominous. Yeah, I think that was was his first start in ten months. Uh, the last night, um, but yeah, that. 
again, the league, it's hard to read too much into it in that teams can be in heavy training blocks and Clare looked a little bit flat the last night and you just wonder where they're at in, in terms of their building for the year. But they were without Tony Kelly, they were without uh, John Conlon as well. So they look Mention as well like TG Cahar, like it is, it is mad how all of a sudden you just... There are so many games on. You can, you know, from a position where the league was hardly shown at all not that long, and it's like it's TG Carr is just throwing everything at Gaelic games at the moment. And you've so much opportunity. Watch deferred coverage. Watch three. Ga- I think three games yesterday was it? It's yeah, incredible. Well have been between deferred yeah. coverage and everything as well, and BBC and RT are showing games every weekend. So again, the appetite is there from from a viewer's point of view mm. as well at home, um, and between football and hurling. I do, and I've made this point a couple of times. I do think that we haven't quite worked out exactly what the importance of the league is going to be. Mm. I think there's probably going to be an overreaction to how bad the teams who went deepest in the league last year were in the championship. And, yeah. But mm. that that may prove to be, <clears throat> pardon me, an outlier as time goes on because we haven't had this. Uh, split season, mm. shortened year, league, round robin, um, All Ireland series, properly. That's right. We yeah. have one season of evidence of it, and everyone's like, "Oh, it didn't matter last year because Cork and Waterford were both shite when the championship rolled down." But that's not going to necessarily be the case. That sample size is tiny. Yeah, and it's the contrast then between the football and the hurling, where the football league is so important. Like you look at Monaghan and Galway in Division One, who are struggling a little bit, and they're kind of looking over their shoulders, saying, "Well." we're probably not going to win in All-Ireland from, from Division 2 if we get relegated. Uh, whereas in Division 1 of the Hurling League, they're really, like Clare played poorly on Saturday night, they're not going to get relegated uh, regardless of how bad their form is over the next few weeks. Um, and you have that training blocks that they, they like to call where you need to get the heavy work into the legs and you might sacrifice a league game or two And it seems Limerick did that last year. Yeah, exactly. And it worked out pretty okay for them. Uh, so long way to go. But um, elsewhere, there was some golf last night. Rory McIlroy is no longer the world number one. Scotty Scheffler back to the top of the rankings. He won the Phoenix Open title uh, on 19 under par. Seamus Power finished in a tie for 20th on 7 under. McIlroy was 4 under par. And uh, the Irish women's cricket side begin their T20 Cricket World Cup campaign at lunchtime this afternoon. They take on England and South Africa. One o'clock start for that one. And Ireland uh, in some good form going into that tournament because they beat the world champions Australia in their final warm-up match last week. So best of luck to them. Is there a possibility that Everton absolutely crush Liverpool tonight? I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, I think Liverpool... A routine Everton, 2-0 victory. Everton are 9-2 to two or something like are that. Are they? Yeah, it's a hard game to whip. I think the, the crowd is going to be very interesting tonight. I think that Liverpool's home record, in fairness, has generally been good. I think the crowd will be massively behind them. I don't know though. It's it's a perfect storm as well. Nine to two seems ridiculously big. Is it not? Is this not much closer to a fifty fifty game than we've seen? Certainly between these two sides, but like it shouldn't be a fifty fifty game though. Like really? But I mean, it is. Because it's not a fifty fifty <coughs> game. It is because Liverpool, Liverpool are still a better team than Everton. They're going to be destroyed by mediocre sides in the Premier League in the last eight to ten. Weeks. Generally away though, I think at Anfield they they are the slight like they beat Man City at home still. Um, I expect them to win tonight, but. Yeah, I, I, it's fascinating. It's a brilliant game to be able to look forward to for so many levels of where is Klopp at mentally at the moment? And where, how has this team just collapsed? And then you obviously have the Everton revival. Um, fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out. You've got Southampton now looking for a new manager as well. So I think I think Dice is a great appointment for Everton. Yeah, I just mentioned as well, that just the death of Theo Don as well, an absolute legend, um, you know, and would have spawned so many sort of... Um, uh, football and dynasty really but just people whatsapp me this morning what an absolute gentleman this man was and so much love for him as well um, I know he'd been ill but yeah 
Okay, our condolences to his family. It's 8.50. Uh, if you want to get involved this morning, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Sarah Dunham is going to join us to look back on the weekend's hurling next. First, here's some Brian Kerr goodness talking about how Kyle Walker is underrated. When we look back at the great Premier League defenders of the last 10 years, he's probably not a name that springs to mind straight away, but he's been a part of a hugely successful Manchester City team. He's been a big part of the England squad as well as they've gone through a really successful spell. How good a player is he? Well, he's been a fantastic player. He went from Spurs. Spurs would have been probably disappointed to lose him. Um, he was an out-and-out right back from them for them. There's always a little bit, you know, with his game is about power, pace, strength. Not always great reading, I'd say, of the game as a defensive fullback. And there's often an error in him, in a bit of wildness in his play. And we've seen that at City at times and with England at times, where he makes makes mistakes high up the pitch and his recovery, while he has all the pace, it was almost like, to me, I'd say, the penny doesn't drop quick enough that they're in trouble and he's got to get himself back from that position. And and that, that little bit of vulnerability and mistakes that I, I think that I spot in this game would reduce his presence in the list of great defensive players. But he's been part of a great Manchester City team. And, you know, a first-choice pick, as you said, when he's fit. He's 32 now. Always with City's players, they've had such a good squad. Not a deep squad, but such a solid group of about 80 and 70 that he can rotate them. I always look at the figures at the end of the season, the start of a new season. You look at them, and there'll be about eight or nine players who play about between... 27, 28 games and 32, 33. Very few players play 35, 36, 37 because he's always protecting them for something, whether it was Champions League, Cup games, whatever it is, rotating them. And, you know, Walker has been one of those that's opened the high numbers. So he's, he's, he's a key player for. As I said, Brian Kerr there, you get that goodness on the OTB Podcast Network. Just subscribe to our football feed wherever you get your podcasts. Mike Carlson's going to talk to us about the Super Bowl in about 20 minutes' time, assuming he wakes up. Uh, in the meantime, Sarah Donovan is with us in studios. Look back on the weekend's hurling. Sarah, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, feeling it as a Cork hurling fan at the moment? It was interesting that others had put Galway ahead of Cork after last weekend. So I was glad that they went out and got the result against Galway. So power, power, a power ball, rankings no. dig, is it? 14 man Galway, to be fair. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that, but that was what? Early second half, two yeah, yellow cards. Scored, like two, two goals straight after, so. Two, three. Do, sorry, yeah. do, do red cards not count? Is there some special prize you get for losing the game when you're 14 men? Couldn't see what happened. So, there we go. <laughs> Jeez, Johnny, I didn't know we were going to go toe to toe so early in the morning. <laughs> Good game of hurling, though. Yeah. Um, from 18 different scores, mm. Galway had 10 different scores, Cork had 8 different scores. Cork are a bit like Tip at the minute. They're holding on to their older, I suppose, older guards, the likes of Conor Lehan. Um, he scored 2-3. And then they're kind of peppering it with new talent. Sean Toomey, Corsi's man, scores two great goals. It, it's interesting to see how Pat Ryan is mixing the old and the new. Uh, Hoggy was out, obviously, through injury. So Lehan had the captaincy. And I thought Lehan led the line really well. Uh, is the plan for them both to play together later in the year, do you think? Absolutely. It is, yeah. It is, it is. I would say that Hoggy would be on the inside line and Lehan would be outside. But then you're looking at the change in the Cork, uh, I suppose, the, the size of the players coming into the setup. Um, they look more like Galway. 
they're kind of they're all six foot, six foot one, six foot two, and I suppose in in recent years that's what Cork were lacking um, around the half forward line. Declan Dalton yesterday scored six points from playing the first half. His striking is impeccable. Lucky to stay on the field in the second half. You know, same kind of incident as Stephen Bennett last week for Waterford, and uh, as the TG Carr's lad said, "Taw taw on taw." Yeah, Lesh, you know, (laughs) really, really lucky lad to stay on the field yesterday. But, you know, outside of that, I suppose, moment of madness, he was impeccable for Cork. We were were just saying, like, can can you get away with the, the, you know, with with the the, the more diminutive player? Do you need at this stage with the way Limerick are to actually go that physically kind of formidable um, player? Like, I I think you have to. Um, It's interesting that Limerick, bar Shane O'Brien, Who's the only lad who's who's probably a little light? Um, are all you know six foot f- four, six foot five? Uh, Kyle Hayes is six seven. You know, mm-hmm. and he's tipping up the field Saturday night, scoring three points at his ease. They're an incredibly good team to watch. Good touch for a big man, are Kyle Hayes <laughs> and Garrod Hegarty. Insane! It is insane when you think about like just the collection of athletes that they've produced, yeah. who are also uh, incredible stick men. Um, but to to go back to um, Cork, Johnny was wondering about uh, Pat Ryan and. and what do we know about Pat Ryan and, and what his team is going to be as an expression of him and what his ideals are and what like what what does he want them to be? Intensity first, work rate. I suppose Pat Ryan as a player with Sars and as a manager with Sars, they they were very structured, very organised. They won their own ball, um, a lot of different options for scores. They weren't reliant on one player. So from Pat Ryan, I suppose what he did with the twenties and how he's gone into the senior setup, he's thrown the net far and wide. Um, lots of different clubs involved in the setup now. Um, he's the Bars have won the county last year. Yesterday, I think Brian Hayes was the only Bars player. Um, he he isn't shy about, I suppose, m- mixing up um, the different talents. Because Cork is a big county, and everyone always tells us the Cork is a big county. There's lots and lots of clubs, so he's giving everyone opportunities, which which I like. Um, I don't know what his championship fifteen is going to look like. Luke Mead had an incredible game last Saturday night against Limerick. And he comes on yesterday. You know, it's interesting. He he hasn't stuck with the spine. I know I'm jumping, but Dublin seemed to have stuck with the spine. Owen O'Donnell, uh, Connor Burke, uh, midfield Chris O'Leary, um, centre forward Dunica or Donald Burke. You know, he seems to have an emphasis, whereas Cork are still mixing it. Uh, and that has, I guess, always been a difficulty for anybody coming in. The size and scale of the population is a blessing and a curse depending on your ability to filter for the good stuff in it. Well, if you look at Kingston and I suppose the changes that Pat Ryan has made this year and the players that he's brought in and the players that he's looking at, it's completely different personalities in the setup this year. So you can be lucky or you can be very unlucky in Cork because if you get an opportunity and you take it, great, or you'll never be seen. And that in work rate and intensity is the type of thing that I guess that is that the characters that he's looking for. First off, if once once you hit that level, then you're going to be allowed to express yourself. There's massive criticism over the last number of years, and I was obviously leading the line in, in some aspects. Incredible frustration going to games and seeing Cork players allow play to develop the other teams, getting scores at their ease. You know, not laying a glove on players. 
this year there seems to be a real work rate I think last there are a lot of turnovers where like Galway just coughed off the ball and a like, quick point like yeah and look fair. and if you look at the change in, in work rate for Cork last week against Limerick and I think they they increased their tackle count by by 40 tackles in the second half they they have to go after the tackle and they have to go after those balls it's funny first. we had Anthony Nash on on Friday and he actually said that the second half and the first half wasn't just a, a, a pick up of like intensity so it wasn't just banging the table at half time like tactically that they, they changed the position of the half forward line which actually allowed them to get closer to their opponents to so it, it was kind of um, it's not just a, a simple we want you to work harder it's like okay we're well, not putting in your position we're not putting you in the position to succeed what's wrong and that was one of the things that he yeah took because that you have to, you have to be able to lay a glove on the player like you look at the score scores across the games over the weekend teams are hitting thirty scores mm. because teams are stepping off and allowing the play to develop it's not the best kind of game to watch you you want high intensity you want the Kieran Joyce type blocks against Limerick last Saturday night that's what you want to see in a game not a lad scoring a ball from sixty yards um, the Cork goal again for people who didn't see it was uh, it looks on, on the scoreline like it's relatively close at the end but Cork hammered Galway until injury time so really they didn't hammer them there was, there was, <laughs> until a, injury time, there was really. a two three moment in the game Galway were like every bit as good as Cork essentially in that game okay, but right. for much of it they had 14 men like there was that was the key moment so of the you're game. Actually feeling Galway missed a penalty it. where the one score off levelling the game at the end so Galway like you know you're bringing back Carl Mannion who like is just easing his way back in you know um, Whelan had a fairly quiet first 40-50 minutes like Galway loads of positives out of that game I think you're very happy with how it looked oh yeah but like Galway it's early days for Galway like I mean they didn't hammer them at all like there was no suggestion well it was a 10 point game in, in stoppage time yeah, but it, it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't that type of game. To like, four. Yeah, the, the sending off was key. It was a mad ball, like couple of minutes, and that was it. Like, but Galway would fancy themselves to be Cork for the game or tomorrow. Like, in my view. <laughs> No, right. What was your question? No, no, there was no. It was just an observation. <laughs> just an observation. I'd be very confident if Cork were to play Galway in an All Ireland quarterfinal this year. I think um, they got a lot of flack last year. Well, the, 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 the interesting one for Galway is like um, few decisions probably around the forward line. Um, who's he going to like? Will Nyland start? Is he, is he reliant on him for his freeze? Is he good enough? Sort of. I I, I think probably Henry is like the, he he's not sure of his best fifteen at all at the moment. No, but they had 10 different scores yesterday, so mm. he has time. You know, I suppose how much store is he going to put on the league? Mm. He certainly doesn't have a set 15. The one worry from Galway's perspective is they coughed up a lot of scores, like in fairness. Even the first half, they coughed up a lot of scores. Well, I think Garrow McInerney yesterday, Sean Toomey skipped past him for the goal. Mm. I think you're relying too heavily on McInerney and he's got a lot of time in the legs. The only thing about that is, right, and like famously, um, Jackie Terrell would have responded to similar levels of criticism by then going out and having one of his all-time great years. Like, I, I would back Garrow McInerney to come back. I don't need him to be world-class in the first two weeks of the league, but I do need him to be fully fit and get the hurling into the legs, get the fitness. I, so, um, so you're saying it's like Seamus, Seamus Callan, it's like Jason Flynn, it's like putting store on these guys in the early rounds of the league to get that... You get the hurling into them, get the game time, and then... And then level off, and taper you can, off. Well, you can make the decision if they're, if they're still up to it, but I thought Seamus Callan looked as uh, fit as I've seen him looking at this portion of the year before, and... Um, I don't know. I think there's just a, there's something about this Tipperary team this year as well, which is going to be interesting. Hard to know because I'm not sure where, what the story is with Kilkenny. I'm a little disappointed with Tipperary in that this is no criticism against Liam Gall. And I know the Fitzgibbon has obviously taken lots of players. And we have to, I suppose, temper this by saying the lads were out Thursday night. Mm. And they put in massive shifts on Thursday night for, for the different teams and the different clubs. Uh, I think Tip should have more players coming in. I'd, you know, reliant again on Flynn, Callanan. 
uh, Morris, where are the young lads, where are the minors, the 21s? If Limerick are able to pepper their team with this talent, how come Tip aren't doing it? If anybody is going to do it, though, it's going to be him, right? And maybe he... Um, if you, I often think about, like, the... the remember when Casemiro signed for Man United? They didn't put him in the team straight away. Mm. And he's, like, clearly the best player, most expensive, most important player. Whereas he puts Anthony straight in the team. And you're like, what's going on here? But they were just getting him up to speed and going, OK, we're setting a culture in place here where those kids are going to come in and get, get a place off James Callan straight away? No. Okay. Do you know, I, that's what I think. There's a bit of that going on. Um, and I, 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 I think though Limerick are doing it better than anyone right uh, now. Yeah, like Limerick, from a position of strength though. So if you look at Saturday night, you look at Michal Hulin scores 12 points, uh, Shane O'Brien scores 2 points, Adam English scored 2 points and uh, Donegal O'Dalek scored the goal. One sixteen from their lesser light Saturday night. Mm. Any other county team would be skipping out the gate if their lesser lights had scored one sixteen. It's, it, it, they're in that sweet spot that Kilkenny were in and that the Dubs were in where if they get two players to add to their starting 15 and yet I mean look I don't know that I, that's why we were, we're trying to work out the importance of this league um, with the shortened season it's going to be much easier for players to put in three or four good performances in the league and buy the opportunity to get into the championship team in a way that in previous years it might not have been I think so maybe we're underrating the value of this league I've very much enjoyed the last two weekends from the point of view of understanding where the different teams are in terms of their development phase. So I would say Limerick as a store, they have like a conveyor belt of players coming through. Um, worryingly, I, I don't know, is, is it going to cause issues for the, I suppose, the, the more established players? I think Seamus Flanagan the last two days has missed Gillan massively and he's getting to grips with how these new players are running, making their moves. Um, and I wonder, you know, what we'll see later in the in the league. Will Flanagan get get into it? But right now he's missing Gillan. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, let's all wait and see exactly what happens <laughs> with that situation. Uh, the dubs, right? You, you talked about the spine of the Dublin team. Is yeah. there, um, you know, I don't know who was smiling and laughing in the um, post-match press conference, which you didn't see from him a lot <laughs> over the years. He seemed really happy. Just very excited to be back involved. Yeah, look, the Dublin setup yesterday was interesting. Uh, this Dublin team reminds me of the Cork team kind of three years ago. A load of young lads who love hurling, the likes of Conor Dunne, who, um Keen O'Sullivan last week with the two goals against Waterford. But they're going to need bulk. And it's going to take two or three seasons to put that bulk on them. They're so lean, they're so neat. They're flying up and down the field. But that second half spell that Antrim had yesterday, I was behind the goal in Parnell Park yesterday where that Antrim were scoring into in the second half. And Neil McManus is a wizard. Lads. I like the catch out of the sky he takes Gibbons and Gibbons a massive save um, and then he goes two seconds you know two minutes later and he wallops the crossbar and then Keelan Malloy comes in out of nothing like a train Keelan Malloy is the best man to run off the shoulder if anyone wants you know we, we spend our whole lifetime on the field trying to coach players to run off the shoulder Keelan Malloy's goals yesterday exceptional but from Dublin's point of view yesterday as, as good as they were in the first half they went 15-8 ahead got complacent I guess uh, I, I don't think it was complacent it was just it was just Antrim decided in the second half to pick a pocket so mm. Conor Burks at centre back he loves to go forward and there's a space opens up if he goes forward and I don't know if Burke is going to be the, the six for Hall in the long run because of the fact that he loves to go forward and he wouldn't have ordinarily played for you know at six for Vincent's mm. I, I think that they need a tighter structure in, in, in their defence and 
that allowed Antrim to come back to three points yesterday having been out of the game completely uh, does that suggest that both these teams could do more as the season progresses or like have they reached their ceiling it's hard to know isn't it because like I'm, I'm obviously desperate for Antrim to make a bit of a breakthrough and for the dubs like I think it'd be yeah. really good for hurling generally if these two were teams that were capable of you know taking proper scalps I, I think from Dublin's point of view as I said it's, it's that muscle it's that right. that muscle bulk they've, they've two or three seasons where they're going to have to add 15 kgs a man it's it's scary but that's that's what we're looking at when you compare them to Limerick to Galway to Well Gar- hopefully this is the start of the Michal Donoghue project and he sees that through because that would be like really important to have somebody with his skill set and nous and you know uh, clearly uh, charisma in, in getting the players to play um, Owen O'Donnell no, no mention of him playing for the footballers at the moment so. No and he got another score again yesterday he's two from two two weeks in a row so I wonder will that trend continue I thought the Antrim body language was interesting in the game I thought they played with a great spirit like and a great sort of belief in what they were doing as well Second and, half Yeah you know but even even the first half they had a lot of bad wise it was a great moment where they missed a goal chance Dublin went down and scored a point and um, uh, Antrim are they on the cusp of something well, I'm not sure what that something is but like this, they're really pushing teams pretty close Like I don't know if that's a kind of a come off from the fact that uh, the likes of Malloy and Cunning were playing right up until Christmas mm. with their club mm. will they actually burn out come June it's mm. been a long long year for that group Dunloy mm. and the benefit of them playing to that time is they're actually at full tilt right now so are we getting the best out of them right now? Like, with all due respect, there's no excuse for Antrim not to be good considering that uh, they have a load of educational establishments who are no doubt interested in helping third-level students. They've got, like, two pockets in North County and in the city. And, like, you know... It's pockets, though. Yeah, but it's numbers. They also yeah. have numbers. Like, the population of... Belfast is absolutely massive, mm. you know. There's anyway. I do think though it yeah. takes a lot to get uh, games into them. Look, it's, it's it's hard to travel up and down the country to get key games. Mm. It's it's much easier for Tip to cross the border and get a decent game than it is for Antrim to come down four hours. No, totally. C- commitment, sure. expenses, everything. Yeah. It all adds up. Yeah, but um, fingers crossed, they're on the verge of a breakthrough. Uh, are any concerns about Kilkenny at this point? Yeah, many. <laughs> yeah, I lacked complete edge yesterday against Tip, uh, overplaying the ball. Um, their decision making was completely off uh, I was very frustrated with them I, I'll be honest um, you were thinking give the ball now and then it was an overplay an overpass um, nervousness it has to be a massive shock to the system though trying to get over like this new this regime that was there so long like it has to take a long time to get over the Cody rain like I, but Ling has Ling was around the setup. I, it's not the same though like Brian Cody but like, he's gone, and that is going to take time. Well, sure. look, I, I didn't expect fire and brimstone from them yesterday, right? Okay, but I did expect uh, a cohesiveness from the, from the setup because there is enough players there to, I suppose, to continue, you know, the, the good form from last year. But What were they trying to do? I, I, I Play the ball through the lines. Mm. And it, it was breaking down, but they were overpassing the ball, so they'd get it to the half-back line, and instead of pinging a pass into the likes of Billy Drennan, who loves a, a quick ball, they, they went an extra... Went an extra man, tip stepped up, broke the ball broke down. You know, the second goal or the first goal was a concession. Was it the second goal? Was a concession from uh, just a poor poor touch. Mm. Um, Billy Ryan was about the only player who showed that physicality, that aerial prowess that we'd expect from Kilkenny normally, but uh, very just very lacklustre, very off colour. 
Uh, one last thing, Claire, um, <laughs> Brian Lowen didn't speak to RTE afterwards or before the game. Um, what do we expect from Claire this year? Like, was last year them in the Munster final a peak or was that them a statement? Obviously, they're still missing players, key players, right? Yeah. So we're not reading too much into it. But again, fairly desperate for Claire to be at that level, to push Limerick in Munster so that Limerick are coming out and everybody's like, okay, we've got tape now on every on what the problems with uh, Limerick are when we, when we reach the All-Ireland series. Um, but what's the truth about Clare? If I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very fair to, to Lowen now, right? A lot of that Clare team is involved in Fitzgibbon. So the likes of Dermot Ryan, you can't expect him to play Thursday night and then have to come out Saturday night and give the same kind of performance against a Limerick team which doesn't have the same load on a weekly basis, right? The likes of Mark Rogers, again, same scenario, outplaying Fitzgibbon. That's the toll that is being taken on these players midweek and then have to come out on a Saturday night and do it all. If he wanted to beat Limerick, genuinely wanted to make a statement against Limerick, he'd have started Kelly and uh, Conlon on Saturday night. He didn't. It's only eight weeks championship. I, I know he'll be disappointed with the manner in which they conceded scores and look, it took David Reedy to come on later on to actually give him a bit of a spur. I think he hit one too. I, I suppose it's just that if the Fitzgibbon wasn't happening last week I think we'd have seen a different Clare team but I think the Fitzgibbon is taking a lot of toll on those players Okay, that's fair enough I, I wonder is there a case for um, saying screw the split season in hurling we're just going to have hurling in summer for the, the championship and that's it sorry lads I don't care because it's a hurling it's a summer sport I, I did find watching it like the the, the pitches just didn't like certainly in Galway and it was hard for the lads to control the ball at times and it's it was yeah, breaking up yeah you can get away with it obviously in look I'll be honest Saturday night it took all my will not to turn off the Limerick Clare game and put on Happy Valley like, <laughs> I tried I what's Happy Valley oh it's, it's, I only know it as a race course in Hong Kong <laughs> what, what is it uh, it's a series on BBC One and it's it's absolutely groundbreaking but I I was there going okay I'm going to give these lads 20 more minutes that's of my time <laughs> I, I was so tepid um, yeah. but look from Limerick's point of view I was ugh, they're scarily good and it's the lesser liked lads you know that's that's what we're looking at last one here uh, Quirky1980 says Cork have been mixing the spine of the team for years and not really discovered anything different not sure when it comes to the championship will there be any different down the middle from previous years right well look Owen Downey's in full back this year which is new uh, Kieran Joyce this is his second year centre back I think centre backs get a Tom Brady style uh, kind of airing in Cork um, you, you get a few years to, to settle in uh, in terms of midfield Luke Mead um, is a quality hurler last year he didn't obviously get much favour in Cork so nice to see him back in the setup this year and then you've got Hoggy and Lehan. if Tip can hold on to Callanan and Jason Ford for as long as they have and the likes of Michael Breen then we can hold on to our older guys as well Alright Good stuff Sarah Thanks a million Thanks. It is 13 minutes past 9 this morning OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Here's what's on sports radio for you today At 1 o'clock OTB Gold is inside Harrington's Gaff 3 o'clock we've got Splunk Classic is Ken Doherty and OTB Gold is Lance at 6 After the break Mike Carlson on the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl Watch OTBAM live every weekday morning from 7.30 on YouTube Just subscribe to the Off The Ball channel so you don't miss a thing Alright The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl last night 38-35 uh, Mike Carlson is with us. Mike, this is this really the story of Patrick Mahomes and his genius, or, or is there more to this? 
Oh, there's a lot more to it, I think. Um, One of the things is it may be the story of Patrick Mahomes' toughness. Um, He re-injured the ankle that he'd hurt uh, two weeks ago in the conference championship. And not only did he come back and play remarkably well, but in the first moments after the injury, when he was obviously in a lot of pain, he refused to go to the treatment tent uh, or in back into the locker room as, as it was almost the end of the first half, but basically sat there until he felt like he could get up and then kind of walked around as if he were normal or as normal as possible. So I, I think there's that. And I think there's also, although he's obviously now with his second Super Bowl win, uh, that kind of in some people's mind makes you an automatic Hall of Famer, but he's also been to three Super Bowls in the last four years. Uh, so he's sort of he has sort of cemented his greatness. But I think it also is a sort of savor for Andy Reid, who, in my mind, was already a Hall of Fame coach. But his reputation in Philadelphia was someone who built consistently really good teams, but only got to the Super Bowl once and didn't win it. Um, and then he won his first Super Bowl with Mahomes and. If he had lost this game, I think that that same that same uh, refrain would have you would have heard that from the from the pundits and the herd um, that Andy Reid couldn't win the big one. But they, I think they've taken that monkey off their back now as well. Uh, so I think this side sort of cements a kind of Andy Reid Patrick Mahomes legacy. Right? Yeah. Just my I I I was I'm like Jar. I didn't I didn't see the Super Bowl. Sadly, I went to bed early last night, being like the professional that I am, and of course couldn't sleep. And I was halfway through. I was like, I might as well just stayed up and watched this thing. I did see the end of the championship final though. That third and four where he runs the ball, obviously the unnecessary roughness gives him a 15-yard penalty, but that moment where this man can't walk, not to mind run, and he runs a third and four to basically get him to the Super Bowl, like where does that stand in those moments of the season? Uh, you know, he, he pretty much did the same thing again. Um, he, he went on a scramble, and when it got to the end and when tacklers were around, he started dodging tacklers, but he was literally tiptoeing um and and i think that that's that's kind of like it'll be it will as you say be a defining moment because this is a guy who's an incredible passer um has as good a vision of the field and and an awareness of where that ball should go or could go as as almost anybody um and he plays through he plays through injuries. Um, it's it's not the first time. Probably won't be the last time because they do kind of. He does take a lot of time. He's not afraid to stay in the pocket or or to to keep plays alive. And and that is a recipe for getting hurt. Uh, you know, somewhere down the line, we've sort of seen it with Russell Wilson um, finally succumbing to an ankle injury after playing through injuries nonstop through his career. And he's been a bit less. He was a bit less effective this past season. Yeah, just one. We we spoke about Johnny Sexton. I don't know if you're familiar with Johnny Sexton, Mike. He's like the Irish out half. He's thirty seven. Yes. So of course, so thirty seven. And that and was the real Super Bowl. Was Ireland France? Yeah, like, and we we actually our first try exactly. actually was straight out of an NFL playbook. But Sexton has probably he's a little bit different in terms of an out half. Certainly the way he tackles and he does things. But is Mahomes? completely changing how the young quarterback looks at how a quarterback should be now in terms of everything he does that is so much more than obviously just passing the ball. Yeah, I mean, there is a change going on in terms of young quarterbacks and mobility is a bigger factor coming out of college because college football's offenses are, are really influ- have really influenced the NFL in the last decade or so. But I think what Mahomes brings to it is that you're watching someone who – 
is like an out half or, or like a, a creative playmaker in, in football or a point guard in basketball, you know, who sees everything and can deal the ball. And, and it's not a question of kind of like dealing it as, uh, at short distances. He can do it at long distances as well. But if you were a young kid and, and like many kids, you know, enamored by basketball and uh, the, the flair and the flash of it, Patrick Mahomes brings that same kind of attitude toward um, toward football. And uh, I don't think he, you know, an American football quarterback kind of gets targeted automatically. Um, I, you know, whereas Johnny Sexton gets targeted <laughs> <laughs> whether he's got the ball or not and, and teams know that they're trying to put him out or slow him down uh you know by hitting him hard and hitting them repeatedly is the way to do it that's that's kind of like an american football attitude toward toward a player but i, th- I think it's a good comparison two um two things that we had anticipated heading into this was that the uh, philadelphia eagles defensive line was the the best unit on display and that uh, how they went so the eagles would go but it turned out they didn't get a single sack on the night. Although, you know, obviously there was the injury to Mahomes, which might have put a normal quarterback out and would have seen them win the game. Uh, why were they so ineffective last night? A lot of, a lot of that was down to Mahomes. Um, he got off quite a few passes while under pressure. And his ankle was, inj- was injured while scrambling. So he, he was under pressure. Um, I, don't, I don't think they underperformed that much. Although Andrew Wiley, the Kansas City right tackle, um, did a great job on Hassan Reddick, who's their who's their best single um, pass rusher, and their interior line did a really good job of keeping the the big guys, the two big guys in the middle for Philadelphia, who rotate through. They rotate four or five players there, uh, keeping them out of the backfield, so that Mahomes actually could take a step forward and throw. Um, which which when that goes away, that's when sacks start to happen because the quarter if the quarterback can't just simply climb the pocket and step forward, he he gets he gets hit trying to go out one side or the other. Um, I, I thought the the other really interesting thing was that their offensive line is really good and, and we saw that through much of the game. Um, but uh, the Eagles offensive line, but Andy Reid came out in the second half and I had said at halftime, um, to the to the crowd at the bar where I was hosting a um, a Super Bowl party, that I thought that the strangely enough the Eagles needed to try to run the ball in the second half, not not play a panic kind of game. But and Andy Reid came out and they ran an awful lot of of counter plays where they were get, kind of going against the grain of that uh, Eagle defensive lines penetration and they worked really well and even when they didn't work really well when they only gained a couple of yards say um it it helped to set up their passing game and uh philadelphia adjusted pretty well in the second half to taking jason kelsey away as a weapon who had been uh the chief's big weapon in the first half They'd, they'd marched down the field for their first touchdown pretty much behind kelsey's catching and the Eagles came back, you know, they, the Eagles came back with other options, uh, which worked really well. And we saw, you know, two touchdowns late, late in the game, which were basically the same play to, to different sides of the field and to different receivers. But where the Eagles would put a man in motion coming back toward the backfield, then he would stop and turn around and go back out. And the Eagles were overplaying that motion. And both times it was Kadarius uh Tony, um, the first time and Sky Moore, the second time he was all alone for touchdowns, you know, and and great as Patrick Mahomes is, you have to give Andy credit, Andy Reid credit for 
play design and also for recognition that that was a play that would work and then go, and to go back to it on the very next drive. And that that was, you know, kind of a, it, it was uh, my take on it basically is that it was a, a really even game as the score as the score would indicate. But you have to remember that the 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 uh, Chiefs are in the game because of a, a Jalen Hurts fumble, his his one bad play of the game, which was returned for a touchdown and then a really unexpected Kadarius Tony punt return yeah. um, that, that got them down. So the two big plays by the Eagles are what won them that game more, more than anything else. It kept them in the game. The Jalen Hurts performance in the round was fairly astonishing for somebody making a Super Bowl debut, notwithstanding the fumble. Or in, in American sports, you get no credit for the 99 <laughs> out of 100 things you do well and everybody just remembers the fumble. Yeah, it's funny. I said you could make a really good case before the MVP was announced for Hertz being the most valuable player of the game um, because he really was doing almost everything uh, for the Eagles. Now the, the fumble does work against you. Um, and uh, strangely enough, the Eagles also had a second fumble for the uh, same guy, Nick Bolton returned it for a touchdown. And that was called back on one of those kind of interminable NFL uh, video replays, Zapruder film, uh, legal battle, uh, parsing the language of the Talmud kind of deci- decisions. Um, and that could have changed the, the tempo of the game as well. But, you know, that, that quarterback sneak that the Eagles run, with, which looks kind of like a, a mall um, in rugby, and someone ought to tell the American announcers to watch a rugby game and figure out exactly what, what, the, uh, metaphor, what the parallel is. Um, his passing was superb. Uh, the, the touch, the touchdown to AJ Brown was was Mahomes like. He was throwing. He was leading his receiver to a place where he knew the ball, uh, the receiver could get it. You know, but throwing the ball well before the, the point that AJ Brown yeah. uh, broke his route. He he was accurate um, throughout, and I just thought it was it was a tremendous a tremendous individual effort, which uh, you know probably just there's only ever been one. MVP of the Super Bowl off a losing team, but I thought you could make a case for this, but I think you're right that that the fumble probably took that possibility out of play. That's got to be crazy. Like, surely the MVP played on the worst team um, more than once in Super Bowl history. Surely. I mean, you're talking about tight games here, like. You you would think so. Um, History's written by the winners. Well, it's a, they generally uh, just give it is. to the quarterback, even mm. when like somebody yeah, else. Yeah, and I, I've gone through. I, I did a piece a couple of years ago, went through all the Super Bowl MVPs, trying to decide who really should be um, the MVP. And the funny thing is, there weren't many losing. There weren't many losing players who were in the mix mm. um, for that award. Uh, I guess the point about Jalen Hurts is he's still on his rookie contract, so the Philadelphia Eagles aren't going anywhere. You know, obviously the heartbreak of losing, there's, there's traditionally been a hangover for teams who lose in such dramatic fashion, but we should expect the Eagles to be a, a good team for the next couple of years. One last thing I, I do want to talk about, and we hate talking about officiating, but it did feel like from watching the highlights that everybody's pissed off because they call a holding on a play when it would have been an earlier version and a, yeah. a much further out um, field goal. Booker missed a kick earlier on, so it wasn't wasn't going to be a gimme. And uh, they hadn't called holding really across the game. So, is it a legitimate call or is it not a legitimate call? What do you think? In the in the early second quarter, there was there was uh, James Bradbury was again was again covering Juju Smith-Schuster and and did pretty much the same thing. And uh, 
Mahomes was calling and, and, and the replay was shown and they hadn't called it. Consistency is always the first thing we ask of officials in, in any sport, you know, make a good call, make a bad call, but call it the same way each time. So that the argument, I, I have a lot of uh, sympathy for the argument that the last two minutes of a game is a bad time to change your change your interpretation of the calls. To me, it was a hold and it was a pretty ob- obvious hold. And the argument that I don't buy is the quote unquote, let the players play kind of argument because if you're letting the defense hold you're letting the defense play but you're not letting the offense play yeah so you know i i didn't really have a problem with it um and i'm pretty critical of of uh the officiating because they did pretty much let let things go apart from offsides for for most of the game and um but i think that the i think again you're right that the argument that it would have been a much more exciting finish had the had let's just assume Butker makes the field goal anyway, so which would have been about thirty five. The Eagles would have then had about a minute and twenty seconds or so to go downfield and you know a field just get a field goal to send it to overtime or or um, potentially win the game. And I don't think anyone was doubting that that was within the realm of possibility. Yeah, um, and, and just in, in your years uh, following it, like how. This this must have been one of those years where just it seemed like there were so many narratives as the season developed with Mr. Relevant, obviously the 49ers, what was happening there, the the emotion that the Buffalo Bills went through, and then the star quarterback basically hobbling through the end of the season and it just there just seemed to be something so much of a narrative for the last sort of few weeks of the season in general. Yeah, um, I, I would hesitate to be crass and say that the more games you put in the season, the more the more of a chance of getting key people injured you you add to the season. But mm. you know, had had the Eagles been able to put Mahomes out of the game the way they put Brock Purdy out of the game in the first quarter against San Francisco, uh, I think you might say that the football gods were being incredibly generous generous to them. Um, and you know, so I'm, I'm glad Mahomes was able uh, to continue that game, but. Um, it, it was a funny season, and I think it was funny partly because you didn't really have any great teams uh, in the mix. The Eagles, the Eagles are a very good team and a, and a balanced team, probably the best top to bottom in, in the league. Um, the Chiefs are a good team with a great quarterback, so you basically had a really stacked team with with lots of depth on both sides of the ball and and the better line play on both sides of the ball, which is usually what we think is the recipe for a, a winning team. And their quarterback played at a very high level, which I know there are still Jalen Hurts doubters out there, and I think they would probably have been silenced. But in the end, it came down to which team has the best quarterback in the game. And that's Patrick Mahomes. And the idea that he might have gone out of the game with an injury would have been just too cruel, I think, I think for football. Much more cruel than anything the officials could do to us. So what you're saying, it's it's ripe for the Jets next season. Rodgers uh, signs and they win the Super Bowl. Well, we have to see what happens when Aaron Rodgers comes out of his four days of uh, total darkness um, <laughs> and, and, and what he's thinking or if he's thinking at all I mean, at that Jesus, point. I, I Jesus like Christ only took three days and he came back and, yeah, well, and Tom saved Brady the world. Took 40, 
Yeah, last year Tom Brady took forty days in the desert to um, to undo his retirement, his marriage, and his life. Um, so Aaron Rodgers in four days could probably do a lot more. Um, but you know, I, I, I like the idea, the rumor of of Rodgers going to Las Vegas and reuniting again with Devontae Adams, um, which which would be which would be very interesting. And then he would also have a coach in in Josh McDaniels who he might not show the same kind of disrespect for that he's been showing to his coaches for the past decade. Uh, one last thing, Andy Reid was talking pre-match about potentially retiring. You can't retire now. He's, he's got to come back and defend, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people who, what is he, 65 now? Um, who, who thinks that, you know, going out on a high note is something worth preserving. It was it was advice I would have given Tom Brady a couple of years ago had he asked for it. Um but you look at Andy Reid and you know he loves football coaching. Um, yeah, the only thing I can think of is if he really feels sympathy for Eric Bieniemy, his offensive coordinator, who is never going to get a chance to be a head coach. Um, it's obvious that he's constantly being interviewed. He's never being hired. And kind of like when Bruce Arians was being pushed, I think, out of the head coaching job in Tampa by by Brady, um, but the the line that he gave was that he wanted to step down to make sure that Todd Bowles, his defensive coordinator, got the chance to be a head coach again. And uh, I could see that kind of a scenario happening. But frankly, Andy, what what's better to to keep you young at heart than having the best quarterback in the league to play with? And and you know he did a great job of of. You know, they let Ty- Tyreek Hill go in the offseason of, of picking up little pieces here and there and, and then using them. Um, I think someone said during the game that, that Mahomes had thrown to more different receivers than any, any quarterback in the league. And, right. you know, that's, that's that kind of chess game that, that coaches love to play. I, I get the feeling that uh, after a few weeks, Andy's going to be scratching, you know, to get back into the, get back into the office and start so, looking so, at college players. Just very briefly for me, could Mahomes be the best of all time? Yeah, I think he's certainly in, in with a shot, and, okay. and he's certainly as skilled as any quarterback I've ever seen. You know, and and he he he's like a he's like a young Tom Brady with a better arm. Uh, so yeah, he's certainly got that possibility. Mike, great stuff. Thanks, man, for joining us. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Jer. Uh, Mike Carson, who of course was up all night, basically, um, I still able to. He put brings the you, he, just, together. he brings you back to like it, it, sometimes you know. I was I was a kid watching the NFL. I was like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my life here. I ended up being a journalist, and to think that I'm talking to this guy that I saw like on the screen, and when I saw him all those years ago, Mike, I was like, he had that smile. You're like, this guy is just a nice, nice guy, and I've never met him, but I know that he is. What a man! And uh, yeah, uh, 65 going strong. There you go. Uh, Murray Kinsler has tweeted that there will be a sighting from the Ireland-France game um, and not entirely that unexpected is. but um, you know, probably too late for uh, the result in the game and you know, I do kind of wonder if this happens in a big game in the World Cup do they bottle it or does this is this the official ending of the bottling of these decisions? When uh, does it end, Jared? Like seriously I mean, I, I know sometimes it can look worse in slow motion but like let's protect the player here you don't yeah, tackle like that. I mean, even I watched the game back and um, Donald Lennon was like, I wouldn't mind seeing it in real time. So show it in real yeah. time. Yeah. You've got to find the right camera angles and you've got to also take into account that like it's difficult in the moment for the referees. But that's the whole point of having the TMO going, no, this is a high level of danger. It's a red card and uh, we're, we're aware of this and you'll thank us afterwards. Absolutely. So whatever they need to do to get to a point where that's um, more consistent, consistency is all we're, is all we're looking for. And Owen Morgan has announced his retirement from all forms of cricket. He says he's going to be in the uh, commentary box from now on, so not going anywhere. So uh, one of 
the greatest Irish cricket career. Absolutely. Um, obviously, uh, one of the all-time great England cricket careers. Mm. So definitely one of the all-time great Irish cricket careers too. So, uh, yeah, no doubt an inspiration to uh, countless young fellas taking what, up the game. Final question for Ger. Just to put it on you. Do Ireland win the World Cup? Yes or no? Finn, um I, I think it's going to be too hard to beat the... So we now have the first, fourth and fifth in our group and then we face the only other two good teams in the World Cup. Yeah, it's... it's yeah. That's a yes. That's bullshit. Yeah. That like we yeah. should we should be we should be marching in the streets of Paris yeah. about the World Cup draw. No, we're we're not going. We're not coming. We're not coming. Redraw it. What, what about the French? Are, like bringing up the, the age of retirement sixty two to sixty four, and they're totally up in arms. Like I mean, they, they're right. Are they sixty? Would you want to retire at sixty two? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, bring it on. You bring just started. On. Look at Mike Carlson, sixty five. You just started. Right, tomorrow, Merseyside Derby fallout, more Six Nations reaction and plenty more besides. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.